passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. As if they don't have too much on their plates. The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. They'll talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. Rewind to SmackDown. 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 Hello and welcome everybody to Rewind a SmackDown. This is a free edition. A rewind of SmackDown. This is, of course, our Friday night show that is usually an exclusive for the Post Wrestling Cafe, which we have, of course, on Patreon and also here at YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling. Uh, but tonight, we're doing a free edition, and that is because John and I are splitting duties. He will be manning the Post Wrestling Cafe, where I think uh, as soon as this podcast ends, uh, everybody listening to it can find a review of Impact Bound for Glory uh, with, that he did tonight with uh, John Ceno up, up there on the site. Um, so go and check that out right now, but that's why we've decided to put this one out on the free feed. This is Rewind of SmackDown, where we cover both SmackDown and Rampage, and tonight, Battle of the Belt. Four hours of wrestling, and I certainly couldn't do it by myself. Uh, as always, I'm very happy to welcome to the show somebody who I haven't spoken to in quite a while, someone who did a great job over the past uh, month while I was away. Thank you. Welcome back to the show, Kate from Montreal. Hi, good to see you again. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a while. I was uh, I was getting used to sort of ranting at everyone uh, for for a month there. Very glad to have you back, though. Enjoyed, we certainly uh, missed out on uh, we we certainly missed out on Kate Kate's takes over the month or, or so. So hopefully, uh, you know, a, a thorough discussion of both uh, promotions tonight will uh, get us all caught up on what Kate thinks about everything that's been going on. So uh, I want to give a shout out to everybody watching us live right now uh, at youtube.com slash post wrestling, uh, including Stefan Gosain, who uh, is a member of the channel. So if you guys are interested in any of our bonuses, as usual, Rewind a Smackdown takes place every single Friday, video.postwrestling.com or postwrestlingcafe.com. Or also, if you prefer Apple Podcasts, you can get our podcast there as well. Uh, if you go to the join uh, somehow, I, I don't even really know how it works. I think you got to scroll through our thing and then hit join. You might even be able to get a free trial. So do and check that out right now. But first, before we get to tonight's reviews, there are uh, a lot of news stories happening in the wrestling world right now. And obviously, the biggest one of them all is an incredibly sad one. Um, this one concerns former WWE Tough Enough winner, Sarah Lee. Um you know, um, the, this this is a, a name that hasn't really been in the wrestling news uh, for quite some time. Um, but nonetheless, somebody I think um, we've all come to learn has uh, is incredibly well-remembered and, and very beloved. Um, the news was revealed by her mother, Terry, on Thursday as they took to Facebook to post 
that it is with heavy hearts that we wanted to share that our Sarah Weston has gone to be with Jesus. We're all in shock and arrangements are not complete. We ask that you respectfully let our family mourn. We need all need prayers, especially Corey and her children. Uh, Sarah Lee has passed away at the age of 30. She was married to Corey Weston, better known to wrestling fans as Wesley Blake, formerly of the WWE. The couple have three children. Her cause of death has not yet been publicly revealed at this time. Lee came into pro wrestling through the sixth edition of Tough Enough in 2015, winning the competition by way of fan vote, earning a $250,000 one-year contract by the WWE. Though she made appearances at NXT live events, Lee was later released from her contract a year later in 2016. There is a GoFundMe set up to assist her husband and her children that can be found by searching Sarah Lee Memorial Fund. At the time of recording, the fund, I believe, sits at over $90,000 USD, with donations publicly coming from a number of people in the industry. And, of course, we send our condolences to the family and friends of Sarah Weston, a.k.a. Sarah Lee. Um, your, you know, it, it's hard to react any, 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 any way but with tragedy. But, say. Um, yeah. I do see that there there's been a tr- tremendous uh, outpouring of sympathy and support for the family from all sorts of uh of, of personalities in the the wrestling industry and that's always is a sure sign and you had the same thing happen when uh Brody Lee passed where you just you this becomes a, a sad situation becomes even sadder because it's someone who was so universally liked and i like i don't know what you can say a 30 year old mother of three i mean that's that's tragic um i did notice yeah that there if you look at the uh if you look at the gofundme uh certainly the the community has has shown a, a tremendous amount of support and clearly you know the the family is is going to need that and all the best wishes to to them to her husband and her kids yeah, incredibly tragic. You know, this was somebody who seemed to be active on social media just even, you know, uh, in the days right before her passing. So this seems incredibly sudden. And, you know, um, I mean, speaking as a as a family man myself right now, it's like I, I, I cannot imagine. You know, they, they set a goal for $20,000. they are currently at $93,140 at the time of this recording. But there's no dollar amount, obviously, that can that can make up for for this. So um, no, I mean, this is just mitigating damage. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, Sarah Lee Memorial Fund, uh, check out the GoFundMe if you wish to donate. And again, our thoughts and uh, condolences to the family and friends of Sarah Lee. Let's talk a little bit before we get into tonight's review about WWE's announcement of broadcast team changes. Now, uh, this was announced through Variety, uh, where WWE on Thursday, announced a number of um, changes here. So uh, the two-person commentary desk appears to be back in the WWE. Now, uh, changes to Raw are being led by Corey Graves, uh, who's sticking around on color. But Kevin Patrick will now be moving from the backstage interviewer spot to play-by-play. Byron Saxton moves from color commentary to doing backstage interviews alongside of returning Kathy Kelly, who departed WWE back in 2020. This, of course, means that former lead announcer Jimmy Smith is no longer with the WWE. Smith actually revealed that his dismissal was accidentally hinted to him by Triple H on Monday when he brought up a suggestion for a commentary plot point in the Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle segment 
um, that led to Triple H telling him to tell Cole about the plot point on commentary instead, which um, seemed to indicate to him that there was a good chance he was not going to call the fight pit match. And I feel like, you know, okay, yeah, uh, Jimmy Smith came in from the MMA world. I was familiar with his work, but I, I don't know how familiar the rest of the wrestling world was. And I truly don't think he was all that familiar with wrestling prior to this either. Um, but I will say coming in, replacing Adan Burke, which, you know, was not a high bar admittedly, but still under a very high pressure situation that, you know, is not suitable for most non-wrestling fan broadcasters. I tend to feel like he did a pretty good job um, acclimating to it. And in fact, I was quite looking forward to him calling this fight pit on Sunday. Um, but nonetheless, it appears that he's gone. Uh, I think that that's something that a lot of people were. I am probably more typical of, of just pure wrestling fans who don't necessarily follow MMA. I, which is that I, I was introduced to him as someone who came out of the MMA world, but who did, but I didn't really know anything about him, but even knowing that that was his background made, uh, made it sort of interesting to me to see how he, how he acclimated to the, the world of WWE like you, I thought he did it pretty well. And it's true that coming into a place, Adnan Burke, it's not like the bar was that high, but on the other hand, being, Another person from outside the world of wrestling coming in after Adnan Verk had sort of very obviously struggled and ultimately failed in that position. I think there was a lot of pressure on him to uh, perform at a higher level. And I think he did that. Yeah, this does seem like a very odd time to let him go just because I think if there is one match where he could have added an interesting extra dimension, it's this fight pitch match. Fight pit. The Rollins Riddle match that's coming up tomorrow. I suppose, like, I mean, it's a season premiere. They probably, you know, earmarked this date to, yeah. to make all their changes. And maybe coincidentally, it just happened to fall right before, you know, the match that he seemed to be most, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, which is uh, suitable for. Which I absolutely understand, but the season premiere is completely their thing they could have had the season premiere next week there's no season premiere because there's no season it's 52 weeks a year so it was their call to say that this was the season premiere uh me personally actually i would have said that uh having a season premiere follow a pay-per-view is maybe the way to go but they didn't Mm. ask me they never do uh but uh, that said you know it's it's Clearly their call. They want to make some changes. We shall see. I would not describe any of these changes as drastic or mm. like uh, earth shattering. Uh, these are all voices that are familiar to. Yeah. Before I get to maybe some of your overall thoughts, let, let's finish some of the changes here. Cause on SmackDown, as we will discuss, Wade Barrett moves up from NXT to become the new color commentator alongside Michael Cole, while Kayla Braxton and Megan Morant continue to handle backstage interviewing duties. This also means that Booker T will now be joining Vic, Vic Joseph on NXT doing commentary for that. So Booker getting another full-time role here on the commentary desk. Uh, this news is followed by the, um, well, a lot of speculation from the audience wondering, well, what about Nigel McGuinness, former NXT commentator Nigel McGuinness, who as of late has been doing uh, commentary on NXT Level Up. PW Insider uh, reported today that Nigel McGuinness has unfortunately been released 
from the WWE. Uh, McGinnis had been with the WWE since 2016 and was a former commentator on NXT before being furloughed by the company in 2020. He returned to NXT UK in September of that year and was currently a part of the commentary team for Level Up, formerly uh, 205 Live. Um, so, um, you know, Nigel, obviously very beloved. And from from what I gathered, like, you know, publicly, a lot of people seem to like his style of commentary, seem to be pretty well regarded at, while in NXT. Uh, but for whatever reason, never got the call up. And when this opportunity arose, didn't seem to, um, I mean, they seem to be, you know, um, accept the fact that they probably were never going to call him up. I think that the most surprising thing about that is that if you're looking at the sort of new era, which we were formally introduced to tonight, uh, now that Triple H has taken over, if you to, if you were to identify someone who really embodied the, the Triple H standard of programming uh, in terms of commentary, you're looking at Nigel McGuinness and Mauro Ronaldo. I think clearly Mauro Ronaldo is not coming back, but it did surprise me that Nigel McGuinness is, is, was not then promoted to, uh, well, promoted, that he was not retained. Uh, I think that he he's very good on commentary. Uh, I think that he th- is able to thread a very, uh, a, a very neat path between being the over-the-top heel commentator and the sort of like antagonistic but useful a heel commentator, which uh, is where what I tend to prefer. Uh, I'm not sure what the issue is there, but th- the most surprising thing about this to me is that I would have thought with Triple H clearly uh, promoting un- uh, and retaining a lot of the people that he uh, he sort of shepherded through NXT, uh, I would have expected Nigel McGuinness to, to be part of that group. Me as well. At the very least, you know... Um... Moving up back to NXT while Barrett was taking this, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, moving up to SmackDown, perhaps. I, I, I feel maybe, I mean, we, we never re- will really know the exact reason why, but clearly somebody in there didn't necessarily think his voice or style of, of commentary was suitable for uh, whether it be Fox or and if you're not mm-hmm. going to be on Fox or Raw, what is the point of putting somebody on NXT? I guess I, I, to me, I, I much prefer his commentary to Wade Barrett. So that's not necessarily a, a knock on on Barrett. And people will have their own uh, their own preferences. But I think that he is uh, much more capable. As I said, Barrett tends to be much more just the sort of straight up antagonistic and adversarial mm-hmm. uh, commentator, which is something that I have limited patience for. Uh, the same thing with Graves. I think that McGinnis is a little more nuanced than that. And uh, again, yeah, a lot to offer, but you know, my tastes are not the same as, as other people's evidently not the same as Paul Levesque. And we will get your thoughts on Wade Barrett's commentary debut on SmackDown a bit later today. Uh, first, let's move on here and let's talk about Soraya. Soraya, according to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, has been officially cleared by AEW's doctor, Dr. Michael Sampson. Uh, now, this past Wednesday's Dynamite, of course, saw her get physically involved in an angle with Britt Baker after Baker teased in character that she heard that she was not cleared. So Rhea last wrestled in December of 2017 before announcing her in-ring retirement due to neck injuries in April of 2018. Uh, your thoughts on this clearance? I mean, uh, please. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I d- <laughs> I just, this this clearance is like it's it's sort of the 
the shock master of reveals. Like it just sort of fell all over itself uh, coming out. I think that the second that Britt Maker went on TV and said that Soraya wasn't cleared, we all knew she was. Uh, but okay, why wouldn't I, I don't really know why you wouldn't save that for sort of more of a TV moment. But it, it's one of those things where you're just going to sort of believe the opposite because it seems likely because it's pro wrestling. I think that then having this leaked out to the media is almost even worse. Like it's just sort of allowing people to find out in a very soft, non dramatic way that. Uh, apparently she's cleared, but now, but like, why wouldn't you make a bigger deal of that? I, I, yeah, I mean, I John and I, like to, I would like to know that she is healthy enough to make a return to the rinks. I know that's what she really wants. I, I don't think that this has come out in a particularly effective way. And AEW is a company that needs to be doing things more effectively than they have been. John and I kind of debated this on on Wednesday's review about you know how how clear the messaging was. John John I believe is is sort of under the impression that it was relatively made clear that you know the moment she got physical, okay, this was supposed to announce the fact to the world that she was publicly cleared. But I I I I, I certainly felt like it could have been a lot more um, intentional. Maybe they were kind of dangling it to to drag out that mystery, and Dave kind of you know got the jump a, a bit earlier. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I think this coming Wednesday, they have to certainly make a bigger deal of, of, out of announcing it. Some yeah. of the p- online reaction to at least this, you know, um, very short line really from Dave in, in, in the observer this week, talking about her being cleared specifically by the AEW doctor, Michael Sampson, I think definitely like, you know, created some concerns among, among the audience. Um, not, not to question Michael, Sam- Dr. Michael Sampson's, you know, sort of like credibility at all, but I think, um, the public is like, certainly, you know, they, they want to know that she has at least maybe a, a couple opinions or, or at least, you know, it, it's more than just the person with a bit of vested interest being an employee of, of AEW doing the clearing. So I, I wonder if we're going to get any more, cl- cl- uh, you know, clarity on that publicly, either from Saraya or Tony Khan himself. Uh, you have uh, any thoughts? I, I imagine that eventually we will get some from her. Um, uh, just did in the form, like I'm, I imagine she'll do interviews and talk about it. I don't immediately. I agree that there there is something a little iffy about uh, having the sole uh, opinion she gets being that of the doctor from AEW, but I don't think that there's there's no history of uh, him being too loose with uh, with his clearances at least none that I'm aware of um, I think that she herself had hinted that she had gotten uh, at least some medical advice that uh, that she might be able to return to the ring she did that through social media earlier this year like well before she she signed to AEW I think before she left WWE so the, the I think this is something that's been in the works for a while. I just, I do find the messaging a little garbled. And like I said, my only hope is that she's safe and healthy. And for, you know, because it's what she wants, I would like to see her be able to return safely to the ring. Our last story before we get to today, tonight's reviews. John Moxley has signed a five-year extension with AEW. This was just announced tonight via a press release from Tony Khan and AEW uh, that says 
that John Moxley has signed an extension that'll take him through 2027 with the company. It also expands his responsibilities to now include mentoring and coaching talent. Uh, the most interesting thing about the statement appears to be a line that says, moving forward, Moxley will work exclusively for AEW and its international partners, including New Japan Pro Wrestling, where he's a t- he is a two-time I- IWGP US heavyweight champion. Uh, exclusively for AEW and its partners being sort of the key word here. Uh, of course, Moxley appeared on Rampage tonight. He's also set to wrestle tomorrow night in Atlantic mm-hmm. City for GCW in a title defense of the GCW Heavyweight or World Championship against Nick Gage. Uh, so what does this mean for his relationship with promotions like GCW moving forward? I'll be interested to see. Um uh, aside from GCW, he's done a number of other smaller indie shows, and I would imagine that Tony Khan is going to try to rein that in a bit. Not because uh, I think that he wants necessarily to uh, restrict where his talent uh, goes, and he's been pretty, pretty open about that. But when you're running weekly TV, there's always the risk that your performers are going to be injured at some of these oh, shows. Oh, especially this and, guy. Yeah. With his style. And he's... yeah, with his with his style and the the, the matches that he's likely to work. Uh, I I think that if I'm Tony Khan with the number of injuries and with the number of absences that uh, AEW has had to make up for in the past year or so, uh, I I would be starting to get very cautious about where my big names could go and locking him down. This is this is a company that needed a win this week. And this is a big win. Locking him down for that long is a major statement. It's interesting the the, the comment about him taking on a sort of mentoring and coaching role, because you almost feel like that's uh, formalizing something that has been going on anyway, because certainly he has the reputation for being this locker room leader. And uh, at a time when the company very much needs such a person. So, he is probably the best person they could make this announcement about. It is interesting, though, because I, I know almost all day my Twitter timeline has been people paying tribute to Nick Gage because the overwhelming sentiment is that he is losing that match tomorrow and that this will be his final match. This just completely throws that <laughs> because it's um, I don't it, because with the question there does is GCW regarded as a partner? It's certainly not a formal partner, but a lot of AEW talent works there. Is it a company that Tony Khan is going to allow his big stars to continue to perform in? And I guess we shall find out tomorrow night. Yeah, if anything, I would say it certainly raises intrigue and maybe just even um, uh, publicity for mm-hmm. this GCW show that's happening yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly the circumstances leading to this, this Tuttle versus career match um, were were unique enough to begin with, with Moxley, you know, thought to be taking a break, uh, dropping the, the belt to Punk and 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 thus um, mm-hmm. Nick Gage not, you know, like there being no doubt about like Nick Gage probably not retiring. Uh, but now he, him being AEW champion, is he going to drop the belt? And certainly with this sort of like announcement and, and the lack of exclusivity, exclusivity with with working with other promotions, how are they going to get out of this? You know, how are they going to make potentially the AEW champion lose a match 
while you know while 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 dropping a championship uh mm-hmm. well, yeah so anyway yeah, uh, i will be i think that if i'm brett lauderdale i'm i'm feeling kind of chuffed about this announcement because i think it did add a, absolutely a, a new dimension to the uh, speculation around what's going to happen at the show tomorrow Okay, so for that and more uh, news, including a report about Impact Wrestling tonight, including a report tomorrow, I'm sure, about the uh, Game Changer Wrestling show, uh, go to postwrestling.com. Let's move on right now to our reviews of tonight's shows, and we start off with WWE SmackDown. SmackDown took place tonight from... uh, where, where were they, Kate? Worcester, Massachusetts, wasn't it? Thank you so much. Worcester, Massachusetts. Of course, the DCU Center in Worcester. 5,830 tickets distributed with under 500 remaining, according to WrestleTix, as of 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And we start things off with Triple H. Paul Levesque himself comes out. I believe, Kate, this was his first on-screen appearance since taking over creative. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I'm so sure. somewhat significant here. He comes out and essentially just kind of gives the show opening address. He says, there will come a time when you think everything is finished, but that is the beginning. Welcome to Fox and welcome to the season premiere of SmackDown. Uh, You know, do you take any deeper meaning uh, in in these lines, Kate, than than simply this being a a season premiere? He's a smart man. He chooses his words carefully. I Mm. think that... Clearly, he probably thought that his time uh, in WWE was winding down for health reasons and also just because of the direction in which his father-in-law was taking the company. I think that uh, a number of people were starting to write off main roster WWE in a way that they hadn't before, which uh, is is something that uh, people are backing away from now. They want to see what he's doing uh with it so yeah i think that there is definitely something to be read into this i was trying to gauge whether or not i thought he got a bigger pop than vince coming out (laughs) the first on smackdown the first time that or the after the first announcement of uh, the first announcement the first wall street journal article about uh his uh, financial malfeasance hmm. i think it was about equal um yeah. so yeah that's hmm. uh, i think it goes to the you know there's a there's a core of wwe fans and they're the ones who are going to show up live and they're going to support the company no matter what but this definitely was a kind of uh, a mission statement that things things are restarting and they're going to be different. They're going to conform to his vision now. Well, well, in both of those cases, um, certainly the Vince thing was a much bigger story in the mainstream. However, like at least on that night, I, I, I suppose like I, I still personally question how aware much of the audience that was in attendance were of at least like the details of the story and what exactly they were cheering for. Maybe they were, and they were just so blinded by the man's sort of like, you know, aura that they continued to cheer him anyway. Certainly Triple H has that, I think though, to probably a lesser degree than like Vince. But, you know, I guess my question for you, Kate, is like, they've never officially acknowledged or have they actually? Cause like he was in charge of like press conferences. I was going to say, have they ever officially acknowledged Paul Levesque's new role as sort of like 
the head, you know, for all intents and purposes of creative. No, but because they really haven't acknowledged a, a functional role there in the same way. I mean, you had Vince McMahon, but who was presented as Mr. McMahon, the character, the CEO of, uh, of, of WWE and Titan Entertainment. It, it was never presented as just something that he did as a job, even though clearly that's what, that's what it was. So Triple H, I think, has uh, – there is a large segment of the fan base that understands that he has a role that that he has a role there and that he is uh, serving in a professional capacity. But they're also welcoming him in terms of the character. Like I said, the the, the NXT Triple H, uh, who I think a lot of people are for for various reasons very attached to, and that was what we got tonight. So perhaps you know in in. Like sort of this ongoing um, anytime there's like something big to announce, maybe certainly for all the season premieres, maybe we will continue to see this sort of Triple H opening address, much like he did for NXT. Yeah. Uh, so we have Michael Cole up next, welcoming uh, Wade Barrett to the commentary team. Your thoughts overall on Wade Barrett's performance tonight, Kate? Um, I'm not a huge fan of his commentary. I thought that he was fine. It wasn't distracting. Uh, I find him much in the in the same way uh, Corey Graves is, although not to the same extent. I find him kind of obstreperous and that he can distract from what's going on rather than enhance. I didn't find that too bad tonight. But so uh, he he's fine. My expectations based on what I've heard from him in NXT were fairly low. I like Barrett um, for like a WWE voice and a WWE role. And I say that because like when I'm listening to WWE commentary, I sort of like have a different idea of what the function of a WWE commentator should be. I, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not going to get a Mike today. I know I'm not going to get an Excalibur. You know, I feel like WWE color commentary roles are there for people to play a role, to send a message mm-hmm. from the company and to, maybe sound good, you know? Um, and I think like Barrett does a good job of filling those roles. He's never wowed me in any way, but I would say like, he's, he's suitable and he's, mm-hmm. he's very capable of maybe filling the role that they're looking for. So I think he'll do a decent job. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. obviously the Pat McAfee question is still there. And and from I, I, the sounds of things, it sounds like Pat McAfee will still be dipping back and forth whenever he's available. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see how, how long Barrett's tenure is, you know? Cause... Well, I think that when you're announcing all of these changes too, like the, this is all being tested. I think this is mm-hmm. something that they, they probably have, you know, McAfee will not be back before the new year as I understand. So they're going to test this out for however long it is, a, a few months uh, until then, see how it goes. And then when he comes back, they have the opportunity to adjust if necessary. We kick the show off with a face-to-face between Crown Jewels, two headliners, Roman Reigns and Logan Paul. Logan Paul comes up by himself, outnumbered against the Bloodlines 6. But despite all of this, this crowd in Washington still chants Logan sucks. Roman cuts off these chants, essentially trying to save Logan Paul by saying the ultimate heel move. Yeah. They did the same thing to me years ago. And now I'm the greatest of all time. Roman says there's a lot they could teach Paul. Paul Heyman then tells Logan Paul that he is this generation's version of Mr. T and Cindy Lauper, a celebrity they bring in just to get more eyes on the product. He says they considered several pseudo-celebrities to put into his role, including 
Jordan Peterson because he can pontificate on the proliferation of the pessimistic pussification of the pugil. Those words are exactly said on broadcast TV here on Fox. He then brings up Ben Shapiro and Andrew Tate, Tate as all, uh, other candidates. He says none of them would have had the balls to face Roman Reigns. Did not expect any of those names to be brought up in my wrestling TV tonight, Kate. No, um, they know their audience. And these are very much people who I think are. Um, I imagine that people in the in executive positions in WWE have a certain amount of admiration uh, for uh, for these gentlemen. Mm. And so, I- so, yeah, why not? They expect that there's a good portion of their audience who will know who they are and who follow them regularly. And I think they're probably right about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always wonder about sort of like the genesis of like, you know, any sort of celebrity call out. And this being Paul Heyman, I would have to imagine a lot of it maybe came from him. Um, And and what is the intent here? Are they expecting a response either from um, the audience that might listen to to those people? Are they expecting a retweet similar in the way that a Cardi B might have retweeted, you know, uh, something, uh, you know, involving wrestling? Um, But it's, I would say, maybe kind of unlike the WWE to like at least like go maybe so direct into something so clearly political as like well, and, and i guess uh, what surprised me more than anything was that these are people who appeal to a much older demographic that i think wwe mm-hmm. is trying to court yeah and so it surprised me only in that sense but i just genuinely think that it's knowing their audience they they know that there probably is a big chunk of their audience that follows these people and listens to them every day. And uh, I almost think it's sort of a, a way of nudging people as, you know, midterms are approaching in the United States towards uh, paying attention to a little political content that they support. So then the segment continues and Logan asks if the real tribal chief is Roman Reigns or if it's Jay Uso. This somehow really offends Jay, and they do a whole verbal exchange off mic where Jay is yelling at Logan Paul. Uh, Roman then stirs Jay down as he's mad at him, as Sammy tries to defuse. Sammy then defends his uh, his enemy, Jay Uso here, saying that Jay did nothing wrong. Sammy then says that they are the ones, and Logan is the biggest number two of all. Just a big number two under the tribal chief's shoe. So Logan is trying to sow some dissent here between Jay Uso and Roman Reigns. I was a little bit confused about why, like, Jay would suddenly be brought up here. Did I miss, like, a line, a key line? Like, why did he specifically no. ask why Jay Uso is the real tribal, tribal chief? No, I think that it was going back to the fact that when Roman won the title originally, I guess Jay was his first serious, uh, yeah, was his, his first um, challenger. And they had the whole, uh, I think, if Logan Paul wanted to emphasize this, he should have kind of returned to the the main event Jey Uso moniker that he had gotten during that time, just to remind people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I remembered it, but I think it's been so long that the bloodline has been the bloodline that it it probably wasn't front of mind for a lot of people. So, yeah, it might have it's it seemed a little weird. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the the execution was clumsy. Uh, I'm a big fan of the whole Sammy and the bloodline story. I thought this whole opening segment was probably the weakest one they've done in uh, this, this whole saga. I thought it was uh, clunky and it didn't really connect. And the sort of poop jokes were a 
below the standard that I've come to expect from the people involved. Mm. So yeah, I thought that it's interesting teasing this descent now between Roman and Jay, or is it Roman and Sammy or is it, I don't know. It's kind of all over the place. Yeah. We'll see where it, I think the story's strong enough. I'm willing to let it play out, but uh, yeah, did was not impressed with this at all. I'm in agreement. Like that, th- that whole thing didn't really connect for me. Cause like Jay has been nothing but subservient to Roman for like mm-hmm. the better part of like what a year and a half now at this point. So for Logan, suddenly longer than that. Yeah. So for Logan, I think it's probably close to two years. It it felt really out of nowhere for Logan Paul to try to use Jay as some sort of like, I don't know, um, uh, pawn in his scheme to to suggest that he might be. It kind of made it seem like Logan Paul hadn't watched WWE in a couple of years. Perhaps. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, uh, well, like, but, but I'm with you. Like you don't even, care. I don't know why I should. Even like Heyman bringing up all those right wing pundits, I really don't know how much of it connected with the audience live. Um, at, at least, so I, I would say overall, uh, one of the weaker bloodline segments here. Ricochet is taken on Solo Sokoa in our first match. Uh, the match starts, and Solo is quick to slow Ricochet's pace down. Here, let me just bring this up here on the screen. Um. Ricochet starts fighting back. He's going for a shooting star press, which Cole somehow thought was a 450. And it's caught in a standing position by Sokoa right into the spinning solo for the win. Any thoughts on the match, Kate? Um, good little like good little sprint. The I think that the presentation they've done of Solo Sokoa has been damn near flawless. I think that they've introduced him very well. I think they presented him very well. Ricochet is a very good uh, competitor to put in against someone when you're trying to get that person over as being very powerful because he sells like crazy and he will make it look like he's just been killed. Uh, It's interesting, uh, Ricochet's position right now, because he is essentially still serving as a jobber, which is what was happening before Triple H took over. His matches, though, are a little longer. He is getting a bit more of a chance to show all of the spectacular things that he can do, or at least more of them. So that probably makes it easier to heat him up if and when they decide to, to kind of pull the trigger on him. Uh, but he is still, and he, he is very much in the, I am here to lose to guys positions. Yeah. At this point, I, I honestly don't know if pulling any sort of trigger is even like an option. Um, he's he's just so far down the card right now. There might have been a bit of a spark like when Hunter took over and we saw him a little bit more. He started to speak a bit more. But week <laughs> after week, he's just kind of continued in this role as, you know, job guy, essentially, you know, for mm-hmm. your debuting new acts. And I, it's just, I found it in this match, the crowd not even really with Ricochet because it's hard to buy into no. him as any sort of significant baby face with any momentum. No, and, the, and the bloodline are the coolest shit in the show. So it's not, you know, and one thing Ricochet, the moose set is great, but he's not cool. He's never been cool. And he was pretty cool. Like before he, he, he got on the main roster, in my opinion, like, yeah. Yeah, Okay. He's, he's cool. You just let him wrestle and don't ask him to do anything else. The character has, like, even if you sort of ignore the, struggles he's had on the mic and with promos the the presentation of the character has never been anything but i can do some really like i could do some really spectacular moves and that's uh that can be enough it was enough on nxt uh but it's clearly they've damaged him so much at this point so Mm. i'm glad to see him getting more of an opportunity to show what he can do but he is still very much like a like i said in a jobber position 
The bloodline are in the back. Sammy and Jay are arguing again, and Sammy is talking about uh, taking Solo under his wing. Sammy then calls Jay a hothead as Jay gets even more angry. At this point, Roman interjects and says, Sammy, you're right. Jay is a hothead. We've been dealing with this our whole lives, but it's not my problem anymore. You keep instigating him, so Jay is your problem to deal with right now. And um, this is kind of becoming, uh, you know, our next chapter in the Sammy and Jay Uso story where um, we're going to see these two a lot more together. And and what what was the implication here that Sammy somehow does he have any jurisdiction over what Jay does? I, I don't know if it's so much jurisdiction, but now there is this expectation that Roman is ordering him to make Jay less of a problem, both to to smooth things over between the two of them and also to make it to to make it so the jay isn't uh causing so many problems for for the bloodline or causing so many distractions for the bloodline it's interesting i thought sammy was great here uh his his reactions just sold the whole thing i think it's probably a good idea to focus on the sammy and jay dynamic because i think that that has been a very very much a strong point of uh this entire run of uh uh, the the storyline and also with Roman playing a very limited role on TV you want to build your story around the people who are going to be available to you uh, for all shows Sammy and the Usos run into the new day in the back as Kofi teases Jay about Sammy being his new boss Sammy then challenges the new day to a match later tonight with the new day having to find a surprise opponent in a trios match uh, yeah, so the New Day being a part of this, of course, they're trying to build to a, a match between the two with the New Day uh, holding on to the current record for the longest uh, WWE championship, tag mm-hmm. team championship reign, I believe. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll, more on that a bit later. Hit Row, enter the arena. As Ashanti the Adonis is sticking his head out of the ropes for his pose, here comes three masked men with a big drop kick to attack. It is Legato del Fantasma. And they're followed by Zelina Vega, now as a blonde, looking great. She dies off the top rope and hits a top rope run at the B-Fab. Hit Row is laid out. Phantom Driver to Adonis. Double dives from Joaquin Wilde and Cruz del Toro. And this officially marks the debut of Legado Fantasma. Not with Electra Lopez now, uh, but with Z- Zelina Vegas. This is Zelina Vega replacing her in the role. What did you think of the debut and the addition of Zelina Vega into the sack? Um... I, th- I was a little surprised that the crowd really did not seem to know who they were. Uh, I'm not, uh, I don't follow NXT 2.0 uh, closely, but, and I know they haven't been on uh, regularly in a while, but uh, I thought that they still would have a bit more. I mean, the crowd was silent uh, for, for this. Um, I, I think that Zelina is, is uh, a good choice. I think that they're sort of recreating this dynamic that she had with uh, the stable with Andrade and uh, Austin Theory and uh, Angel Garza when uh, the, the, that they had going for a while, which looked very promising and then went nowhere. I think saying she hit a Hurricane Rana is putting that very generously. And this is where I hope that Triple H learns from Vince's error because Vince was so determined to push Zelina as a wrestler. And there is 
a big difference between someone who can wrestle a match and someone who can do cool-looking one-off moves. Zelina can do cool-looking one-off moves at least most of the time. This one did not connect. This is not a this is not a, a good uh, a good look for for her to come back to the ring. I hope that they keep her as a manager because she's a, a very good talker. She's got a great she's got great presence. And like I said, in terms of just being there to kind of screw with people and uh, hit to hit it moves occasionally, I think she absolutely has a role to play. I really the hope though that this was not a sign that she is going to be getting more involved in ring because that hasn't the, that has not connected for me at all. And uh, the move the the, the Rana mm-hmm. attempt was really. Um, <laughs> a well, reminder of why I, I think she's better positioned as a manager. I mean, if anything, I would say that, that that was sort of like the one move in her arsenal that she's been able to pull, like, you know, to a pretty high mm-hmm. level of success. Today, she had to do it on BFAB. And, and yeah. maybe that accounted for some of the awkwardness in, yep. in a lack of a dive and more of a, I'm going to carefully place my legs around your head it, off the corner. To yeah, do this, this it, move. it looked like she didn't know. I think they were also both in heels. So there's a, a difficulty level. But again, oh, right. You don't have to, if you were going to set this up, you didn't have to set it up this way. So I think she looked awkward getting into position for the move. She looked a little unsure doing the jump and BFAB did not look like she was prepared to to catch her and execute the move. So it was basically like she, BFAB kind of caught her and put her on the ground and turned a somersault. Mm. And that was like, that was a lot of, uh, that was a lot of the, the, that was the sort of big moment of physicality in this confrontation. Mm-hmm. So, I, um, I, yeah, I, I'm of the opinion, opinion, especially because it's, it's Hunter um, who, you know, of course ran with her and Andrade as, you know, pretty top, top level act in NXT mm-hmm. that I think we're probably going to see Zelina really shine in a more of a managerial role here. Um, I think, you know, Electra Lopez, maybe some people might be disappointed that she's not coming up. I'm sure she is, but she is a developmental product and i think she you know be staying down in nxt is probably a good place for her to really develop mm-hmm. maybe come up as a singles on her own but having zelina who is been who has been really so wrong wrongfully utilized i should say i don't necessarily want to say underutilized but wrongfully utilized as a singles no wrestler. and underutilized is the opposite of what she's been but yeah you're right yeah. just not used for the wrong things but her as a, a lead manager of a stable as a mouthpiece for a stable i think it improves mm-hmm. her stock greatly and i think automatically mm-hmm. gives legato de fantasma this sort of like you know known uh, personality to attach mm-hmm. themselves to and just look at them i think they look like a million oh yeah already, they, so. they, they always had a they, they always had a great look and they're they're very like they're they're always very entertaining in ring so i'm looking forward to see what they and do. so a feud with hit roads uh, hit row seems to suggest the continuation of what the two were already doing in nxt so i wonder how yeah. much they'll play off of that uh you know a, a storyline or if they'll just kind of like treat well, but it they're as, like, they're missing <laughs> like why did that feud work really well in nxt they're missing kind of a big part there right well <laughs> Some adjustment, you know, some some mm. some care, care, careful editing of the of, of, <laughs> the, the, of that footage. The most talented wrestler isn't there anymore, yeah, but we'll yeah. just sort of Speaking and that which throws the numbers off, so it looks a little weird. <laughs> Speaking of clever editing, we get our latest and possibly last White Rabbit video uh, heading into Extreme Rules tomorrow, and this really was uh, about as you know maybe the least interesting White Rabbit video that we've had so far. It wasn't much, but. 
uh, sort of video game, 8-bit video game uh, animation of a rabbit burrowing into an X. The rabbit hole then explodes into a screen that reads, Tomorrow night, 10-8-2-2, before the, the phrase feed your head is spelled out in various languages. There was a QR code that I didn't really catch. I, I only saw it online, but it, there was a QR code. Yeah, it went tonight. to a video of uh, pigs with just let me in, let me in, let me in. Uh, yeah. Repeating I, over and over again. Yeah, I did watch the video. It was at www.com slash 10822, which of course is the date for Extreme Rules. And uh, it, this one, not really much mystery to it. Just the voice repeating, let me in. Unless <laughs> I can go on the internet maybe and, and find out a 10-minute you know, discussion about what, what, what this video means. But nope. um, the nope. only... Nope, no discussion. Nope, it wasn't happening. People found the video. Like, okay, before... all week I have been looking forward <laughs> to being able to talk to you about what the last, the very last, the go home edition of the white rabbit build was going to be it's like oh it's going to be so fun what are we going to get to talk about like art history or pop culture or mythology or they've been no, no no just a video just a video no deeper meaning just in a super obvious uh uh, video linked in that QR code, like clearly referencing stuff that we've all seen from Bray Wyatt. Like, oh come on, yeah, really. <laughs> I, I'll I'll say, Kate, I was more than grateful to not have to do any extra work trying to dissect this I'm thing sure. tonight, sure. having to watch yes. four hours of wrestling and and then take notes uh, on top of it as well. So. I I think we've had all the teases that we need for this thing at this point. I think you know it's all but official that it's Bray Wyatt. Um, and- the shift did throw me a bit though because they have gotten very sophisticated, and I think that the, mm-hmm. the, it's been it just uh, the build to this has been excellent, and they have really like if you watch online the engagement that it's driving has been significant. People get really into this stuff, mm-hmm. and I think. Uh, mo- one thing that's important to uh, to note is that this is stuff that's going to appeal to younger viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, people in their 50s and 60s are not chasing this stuff around. They are at most looking to see what other younger people have come up with. But this is like if you're talking about something that is going to get a younger demographic excited about your product, this is absolutely the way to do it. And for it to just go like it's um i'm not saying that they had to like put the da vinci code in this friggin' thing but this seemed very weak as a as a way to finish this uh, this off and i was surprised i was wondering like from what i've been able to tell this seems like it's been pretty successful so to go back to this much 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 more standard presentation and to to strip away the sort of gamification aspect of it um yeah i I was confused by the the choice well keep in mind i mean they do have a show tomorrow and and Mm -hmm. you know even though like i think we're all expecting tomorrow to be the big reveal there is a chance that they can throw out one little last little (laughs) easter egg and it's also like you know the so much of of the work had already been done and Mm -hmm. what more can they really achieve now there is one little kind of if you want to consider it an easter egg of course at this point we all know kate to dig into the source code the html and today, the message seems to be Daniel NCFC15. Who is Daniel NCF? What is 
Daniel NCFC 15. It appears to be a Twitter user who has posted about Bray Wyatt. Um, I don't know if it's anything more significant than that, uh, but I will say, uh, you know, one of these uh, Easter eggs uh, in the source code from last week was a clear reference to uh, a, a poster on Reddit. Um, so they are known to be uh, referencing the audience now at this point in these things. So uh, <laughs> tomorrow will be so there a big... is a little something in there tonight. That's good at least. Very little, but the, you know, the, tomorrow is going to be, I think, the ultimate test to see how much this viral marketing has worked. How clear have they been without being explicit that Bray Wyatt is going to appear tomorrow? Uh, we'll, 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 and not to say that there's even like any great ability to measure like how extreme rules is, is going to do, but beyond Google trends, but maybe that's it. Maybe we'll see yeah. like if there are more people are going to be paying attention. And that, yeah. that, that is, yeah, that is, that is a valid form of measurement. And in the, in the absence of being able to, uh, chart things like pay-per-view buys or, uh, Nielsen ratings, then yeah, Google does become, uh, a major way of evaluating the uh, the success of a marketing campaign. Last thing on Bray, tomorrow at Extreme Rules, if you're going to have to predict maybe a match or a segment in which he'll appear, what what would you guess? Whew. Um, I almost think that he is going to come in separate from any uh from any particular match, I think that implicating him, you could have him come in. Uh, I think there'll be a tease with the, uh, uh, between him and Alexa, but there's no program there. Um, I think that there's a couple of other matches where he could make an appearance, but I almost think that it's going to be its own thing because that way it still gets people to, to tune in on uh, and we're on on smackdown to see who that first feud is going to be with i think that you can sort of stage it that way so i don't know if it's going to be linked to a particular match well the the connection is clearly there with alexa i mean with Mm -hmm. with the samson and delilah thing of course um Mm -hmm. so i can see him appearing involving something with alexa perhaps during the bel-air versus uh uh uh, bailey ladder match um Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily know if we need to like draw association with him and a, and a male wrestler for for a program right away perhaps like we'll see we'll see like if this is I, look, a... the, the original uh the original sort of firefly funhouse run was strongest bef- like when he wasn't really tied to a particular program and certainly before he got into the title like he would just he'd make his appearances and there was long long build and then he went through a whole series just appearances where he came out and killed a legend and disappeared again and that was actually that was pretty effective and maybe they want to do something like that again the 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 question with Bray Wyatt is always going to and this is the this is the proving ground because I think there's been a very a huge tendency, possibly right, to p- say that all of the the good parts of what he was doing were his, and the bad parts were Vince and his ideas and his booking. This is you know the, this this is the ultimate proving ground because Vince isn't there anymore. So the ability not just to create a compelling setup, but to pay that off in terms of character and story is absolutely on the line here. And this is really, this is the only chance he's going to get to do this. 
We continue with SmackDown and a matchup next with Sonya Deville and Zia Lee taking on Shotzi and Raquel. The tank is back, of course, and it's already making Shotzi's presence on the show feel so much bigger than it was. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I, I, I realized how much of her appeal was tied into you know, that entrance that really made her a bit unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a man in a giant white rabbit suit uh, walking around in the background. He appeared later on behind Cole and, and Barrett as well. Uh, the match I found really cold, Kate. You know, almost no mm-hmm. reaction to Raquel's hot tag. Shotzi hits an assisted slice bread. Tahana bomb from Rodriguez gets the win. Uh, really, just seemingly just a, a way to give Shotzi and Raquel uh, that that tag team a bit of spotlight. But no promo time, no real story heading into this. Just a quick match. Well, and no, no reason why Raquel is suddenly with Shotzi rather than Aaliyah. Like- I believe is this, Aaliyah, did Aaliyah get taken by aliens or something? Like, I believe she is. She is injured, or at least like it's been uh, inferred that that uh, she's dealing with some sort of injury. Um, Maybe so, but they can say that. That's fine. Um, you know, that's actually a story that you know Shotzi Shotzi knew that Raquel's partner was injured, and so she respects her and has stepped up to. Uh, to kind of fill in well uh, yeah that, there was something where she came up to raquel's rescue i believe and that, yeah. that was i think but even then it wasn't got. explained like it was just sort of oh here's random mm-hmm. uh, i yeah. think um the, the funny thing here is that shotzi like the the crowd wasn't terrifically into this match at all if they were into anyone it was shotzi which is uh interesting because to this point raquel has very much been the project and the way that she kind of caught fire in NXT that they've attempted to sort of engineer that. And for a couple of matches, it did kind of look like it was working when she was with Aaliyah doing the hot tag instead of multiple Tahana bombs. I think that that has fizzled and I'm not seeing much, like you said, without the use of, of promos or the backstage segments or whatever, it's not like she's not there yet. And they're not presenting her in a way that's going to get her there. Yeah. I thought like coming out of the Leah thing, like she, I, I, I would expect maybe much more of an evolution in character from her, whether it be, you know, as, as just a, a more aggressive baby face or, or turning her heel. I don't know mm-hmm. if like Aaliyah being out suddenly like nicks the, that thing, but they're trying to run with her as this, uh, you know, pretty like, I don't know, put together tag team with Shotzi and she's just seemingly reverted back to being smiley baby mm-hmm. face. So, yeah. And they don't seem like a sort of, there's some like, uh, I think with she and Aaliyah, they did have sort of a, just even in the way that they presented themselves, they had a certain amount of, of personal chemistry. Uh, she and Shotzi, just like the look is very random. The type of characters they are, the pairing seems very random. It's just not, it's not clicking for me. Up next, we get uh, Drew McIntyre attacking Karrion Cross during Cross's entrance. Uh, Cross, this is McIntyre getting some revenge for previous weeks. Drew brings the leather strap and he straps himself to Cross, fighting off security while he's uh, tied to him. Cross then fights back, whips Drew along the back several times very hard, laying him out before their match tomorrow. Just a bit of a preview for tomorrow's match and a very important night for Cross and Scarlet tomorrow. Their most, I mean, mm-hmm. their first high profile match. Yeah, I find that I I was on the show with you the week that they came back. And I remember saying at the time that it, when that happened, that immediately he felt like a huge deal. At the time, he felt like a bigger deal than Drew because this was just sort of as they were starting that build to Clash of the Castle and didn't look like Drew was a very compelling opponent for Roman at that point. Cross came in, he felt like a huge deal right away. 
And then that has just become less and less and less. And I find that he's significantly diminished. And the interesting thing is that's exactly what happened in NXT. He came in and was the, he, he felt like the presentation was just next level. It was so, uh, it was so polished and so striking. And he came in and he just went on this sort of killer streak. And then it built up now it built up to the match with Keith Lee. And even by the time he got to that match, it did sort of feel like it was a little too like, okay, he's the next anointed one. Then of course he got injured. And when he came back, he never had that luster again. So I find that the same thing is happening here. So he really, really needs to have a, a no pun intended, killer match uh, with Drew because I think... In the absence of that, it's going to justify what I think uh, may, the reaction that a lot of NXT fans had to him at the time, which was they turned on him. Uh, they did not find him that interesting uh, towards the end of uh, towards the end of his run. And um, I will be, I, yeah, it's it's a lot of pressure on him. And mm-hmm. uh, good good luck because I think that he is already sort of faltered from when he from the, when he made his reappearance. The next thing we th- we see on SmackDown is a a Viking Raiders teaser. Uh, all we really see here is this shot of two shields. Of course, the Viking Raiders shield and the back of somebody. Uh, and all you hear are uh, you know a bit of a script. You hear somebody say Valhalla awaits. It is the back of what appears to be a female Viking, and this seems to all but confirm the return of Sarah Logan to the mm-hmm. WWE. Um, you know, I've been very critical of, of the Viking Raiders, like non in ring content throughout their entire WWE tenure. Uh, mm-hmm. And unlike almost 90% of that stuff, I thought this actually looked and sounded really cool. I so. agree. Uh, I thought that the visual presentation was very striking. It's a present, it's a sort of character or gimmick where less is more. You don't need to have you don't want them talking a lot because as soon as you start talking it starts to sound very very silly but uh if it's just it's the visuals and a few sort of well-placed words then i think it's much more effective they've given this gimmick like so many restarts you know somebody Mm -hmm. back there must really love vikings in order to like try so many attempts at trying to like push them and they're an incredible tag team of course but you're absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely right katie you know it's it's always been the presentation of, of of somehow making them feel less like larpers and more like you know just a devastating violent group which i hope they're mm-hmm. finally able to nail this time around so we shall see Sammy and the Usos take on the new day and the new day introduce their tag team partner braun Strowman. The Usos, of course, as I mentioned, are inching closer to that all-time record behind Demolition and the New Day themselves right now. The Usos are mad at Sammy for getting them into this situation. They aren't getting along at all at the start of the match. Sammy, in order to try to throw an olive branch, tries to serve Kofi up for Jado attack. But despite all that, they still can't get along, giving Kofi an opportunity to hot tag Strowman. Jay and Sammy are still struggling, uh, are still arguing around the ring as Braun bulldozes both of them onto the announce desk. New Day hit their backbreaker double stomp combo as the New Day pin J- Jimmy Uso, likely mm-hmm. setting up that title challenge and their chance to defend their all-time longest reigning record. Uh, what do you think of the match, Kate? Oh, I thought it, I, I thought it was it was fine. It was um, 
it's almost these are teams who have been kind of undone by the fact they've had so many very good matches. It's like, oh, yeah, it was good. Big surprise. Wow. Um, this one, though, was all it was all about the story that was going on in the, the background. Like if what happened in the ring really was a very little consequence. The one thing that stood out to me was how immensely over Ron Strowman continues to be since his return. I mean, he like to say that he was the hot tag is to grossly undersell that reaction. So clearly they, uh, they are onto something. They've presented him. Well, it's interesting because they've, they've shown him as being a bit more of a, a very serious character since he he's come back pairing him with the new day invites you to to see that kind of jokey side of him they didn't play it up by any means but it's just the new day are such sort of fun loving characters that even putting Braun with them kind of it's it's a little it's a slight shift in uh in in presentation Uh, i got the sense that tonight was like more of a one night only thing because like the new day needed that big pop of having the you know the the, the, like default giant to like you know Mm -hmm. surprise and uh the the heels Um, yeah i don't i don't think they went down a road that they that they are now bound to by any means yeah i love the idea of like the new day trying to defend their streak i i -hmm. suppose i wish that they put more focus on building up the new day prior to this to make them feel like more of a focal point like they actually have a chance of beating Mm -hmm. them um and maybe you know i believe they have a couple weeks maybe they could still do it but i i I mean at at present i just don't feel like the new day are enough of a presence on the show for me to feel like they have any sort of chance but let's see what story they can tell in in a short amount of time in the back, Max Dupree it has laid out Masse and Mansoir with the chair. He uh, he's kind of uh, he's telling Maxine never to call him Max again. Uh, he says he, he gave them something great and they turned it to trash. He's no longer Max. He knows who he is. He is who he is, and that is L A Knight. So the transformation hey. is complete. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention the last one too. Like, oh my god, poor Michael Cole. Oh yeah, he got knocked out. Almost. I think he could have sold yeah. it a bit more, honestly, Kate. You know, any, yeah, I know he was just back up calling matches again. Like, oh my god, but yeah, that that visual is going to stay with me. Um, but yeah, the, the LA Knight thing. Uh, I think this was widely reported that he was uh, coming back, and I think for how contemptuous they have been of the whole maximum male models thing in the last few weeks, yeah, just flush it. I, I'm not Max Dupree. I'm uh, I'm LA Knight and screw you guys. I'm going to the ring. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I was actually kind of interested. This bails them out of another conundrum that I, I thought they were going to get them in, which is they, they do normally feature Mansoor or Massoir very heavily in their mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia shows. Oh yeah. And I think sending him in there with that character which is very obvious. I mean, not like not explicitly stated, but very obviously coded gay and which anyone could, could pick up on. I think that that would have made a, could have put them in a, a sort of an interesting position doing a, doing a show there uh, where they have depended on him to, to get that sort of hometown kid reaction and ever in every show. Something tells me Monslaughter is not going to be a part of Crown Jewel. 
you know, nor the maximum male models. So um, that's sort of uh, my my thinking at present. And we probably I, I don't know if we'd see Mansoir, you know, in the Saudi Arabia, Arabia event until he ditches the gimmick. So no, I don't. I, I, I can't see them. It's just inviting a tremendously uncomfortable reaction. Mm-hmm. So Ellen Knight is back, everybody. Next week, we've got Kofi Kingston versus Sami Zayn and the aforementioned Ellen Knight taking on the aforementioned Mansoir. And then we have our main event. Sheamus versus Gunther, number two. I thought throughout the entire show, Kate, they did a tremendous job of building up to this match so that by the time you got to it, you know, the legend, I think, of that of that Clash of the Castle match, I thought they did a really good job of promoting. You know, they were showing tweets all day from uh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. Um, in the short amount of time, I feel like, you know, even though Clash of the Castle might have been off of many people's radar, um, I thought they did a good job of building it up to make you feel like this was a special match tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I agree. So Sheamus versus Gunther 2. Uh, they go to commercial break soon after the match begins. And when we return, Gunther is already bleeding from the mouth. Sheamus has a blistered chest. The both of them are drenched in sweat. This is the one time where I wish like SmackDown had picture in picture so I could pay more attention. Gunther exposes <laughs> the turnbuckle. I wanted to see how we got to this point. It's I like, know. It's like- Someone out, someone it's like on. A, it's like a cartoon where, like you know, like they they're fighting in like a big cloud of smoke, and then they <laughs> they appear, and it's like all of a sudden the fight's <laughs> over. So Gunther exposes the turnbuckle and pulls Sheamus Sheamus's chest into it. Uh, we get another commercial break. A ton of chops from Gunther, followed by strikes from uh, punches from Sheamus. At one moment, Sheamus just pauses in the middle of the ring as the camera closes in on his just mangled up, bleeding chest. At this point. Sheamus then d- does his 10 beats with Gunther on the top rope, lays Gunther on the second rope for another 10 beats, and finally on the bottom rope for another 10. These are you know she- moves that we've seen Sheamus do for, for an eternity now, but now as a babyface act, they, it, it's really working. Sheamus then hits his avalanche white noise, but Gunther kicks out at two. There are this is awesome chance. You know, they're certainly hitting that exhaustive war of attrition feeling by this point. Powerbomb from Gunther for two as Gunther continues to focus on the weakened neck of Sheamus, diving knees. Sheamus then applies the Cloverleaf as Gunther taps twice. The audience explodes, but for some reason, the ref does not call it. Now, um, this was certainly not a mistake. You know, uh, somebody like like Walter or Gunther is not tapping out, out of a mistake. Now, um, Cole explained it by saying how the referee considered him uh, reaching for the ropes for the two taps. Is there anything beyond it? Like, is there an official ruling that says you have to tap at least three times in order for it to signify? Like, did did you read anything deeper into it, Kate? No, and I think that um, they, if they wanted people to believe that he was trying to get to the ropes and not tapping, then he should have made an attempt like it's it's theater um you you have to make more of an attempt to reach because i think it's a very good match um like it was a tv match not a pay-per-view match so and and i was not expecting it to be at the level of the match they had at clash the castle i thought it was a a very very good tv match i thought that um they they hit their they hit their spots very well and it was the kind of thing that people wanted to see them do but then in the ending it's just okay, if you wanted to sow some 
doubt here. You didn't really do it because to me, it clearly looked like a tap out. And it didn't look like it just it looked like a botched call, even though clearly it was like it wasn't. It's clearly something that I hope they really, you know, continue to play up the controversy of. I mean, clearly it was designed for that, you know, to kind of give some leeway Mm -hmm. for for uh, sort of the moral victory here from Seamus. Um, And and like these sort of like phantom taps are actually a pretty common occurrence occurrence in MMA or jujitsu. Did that person tap? It looked like a tap. Maybe it wasn't a tap. So I, I don't dislike the idea, but it's it, it's it's something that maybe you have to work a little bit harder to communicate to a wrestling audience. And, yeah. And, and maybe they'll do that in the weeks to come. Mm-hmm. I, I get the feeling that it might be there to set up uh, a, a third match. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, the, even though Gunther has won uh, the first two, I think this one creates enough of a gray area that you could go to a third match. Certainly, absolutely. So we we continue the match here. Uh, Imperium and the brawling brutes come out. They start brawling. The crowd is is just incredible, incredibly hot for all of Sheamus's uh, offense right now. Uh, Sheamus sets up for the bro kick, but Gunther is given a shillelagh and decks Sheamus with it, giving Gunther the win. And your thoughts overall? I mean, we we kind of know know a bit of your thoughts, but anything further further to say about the whole match itself, Kate? Um, I think again, it was it, it was a very good match. Um, I think maybe if I was going to be critical, I'd say that it lacked a certain amount of creativity. That, as I said, they hit all of their big spots, but it's you were saying these are a lot of these moves are things that we've seen Sheamus do lots and lots of times before. Same with Gunther, we've seen him do the the, the chops. We've seen him do like uh, the the moves that he was doing. So maybe would have liked to have seen something a little more creative, especially because they were coming off this phenomenal match. Uh, but it's, See, it, I, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say that it was bad by by any means. I very much enjoyed it, and I think that both of them are are on a really good run right now. I hope that they find something uh, in particular for for Sheamus to do that helps them capitalize on uh, this wave of, sort of baby face momentum that he's riding right now. See, I, I, I'm not too upset if like we didn't see anything unique from from these two because I felt very much like this was their attempt at redoing you know, mm. the, the Cardiff match for an audience that might not have watched the pay-per-view in the afternoon. Um, and, and and for that reason, I, I feel like they did a hell of a job. You know, um, it was not, you can't compete with the atmosphere of a stadium, but no. I felt like, you know, at least reaching some semblance of that feeling so that you come out of this with a renewed respect for Seamus and, you know, an, an understanding of why we should be celebrating him right now and why we should be fearing Gunther as a legitimate champion. I thought they absolutely achieved that. Now I say legitimate, um, of course, like, I think it was also unique in that, like, this man who supposedly feels that the ring should be sacred cheated to win. We saw Gunther mm-hmm. cheat to win. We also mm-hmm. saw him do a bit of a phantom tap. So they were certainly like, you know, putting enough in there to protect Seamus as a baby face. Like certainly he's the project here, but I also feel like Gunther comes out of this as like very legitimate, but also, you know, I think appropriately dastardly as, as a mm-hmm. heel. As well, well, hypocritical. Yeah, uh, because as as you said, he is betraying this idea that what what happens there is sacred. I think what I'm saying, like I I wish they had been a little more creative. Is yeah, I, I think that they were coming off a match that was so good. To me, it needed to to not just be a recreation of what they did. It needed something a little a little more to to differentiate it to show a progression, particularly if 
as we were just saying, they're teasing a possible third match. So, mm. But but yeah, that's not I, I, I that's not to say that I, I had a lot of criticisms of the match. I thought it was very very good, and I think that both of these guys are doing very well right now. We're halfway through, Kate, because we we still have two hours of wrestling content to go through. So let's let's kind of forego maybe some of the general thoughts, and we'll save that for you guys. Uh, if you guys choose to call in, just look in the description right now if you want the the phone calls. We'll be taking calls as soon as we're done. Our AEW review here. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Let's move over on to Rampage. Live tonight from Washington, D.C., 2,200 tickets distributed with about 1,000 remaining, according to WrestleTix, as of 4 o'clock in the afternoon today. And we start things off uh, on Rampage with the Blackpool Combat Club taking on La, La Faction in Gobernables. Roosh comes in, and he's immediately calling for Mox to come in with him. Of course, the man who beat him on Wednesday, Moxley, uh, is wrestling tomorrow night in Atlantic City, of course. During commercial, private party deliver a bunch of huge dives to the floor. The firm is sitting ringside. Claudio then comes in. He sets up a big swing on Isaiah Cassidy while carrying Mark Quinn on his shoulders in a fireman's carry. Uh, one of the most impressive like big swings I've, I think we've seen from Claudio. Everybody comes in with their big shots. Yuta then applies Mark Quinn in a submission, which looks like a short arm scissors, but Regal is there to clarify on commentary that it's actually a bicep slicer, and Mark Quinn submits. They're they're trying to get a new finish over here for Yuta. So the crowd, I would say, didn't re- really react so much to the finish, but um, this is kind of the educational process that you need to go through to, to get a, a new finisher over. Uh, what do you think of the match, Kate? I thought it was a very good match. This is unfortunately one where the just the shadow of the ugliness of this week was was looming very large over it. Uh, in a way, I think it, it it helps that they had this announcement out about Moxley uh, just before, and, and I'm sure that this is on purpose so that it kind of shifted your focus um, from. Rouge and the fact that we're, you know, that that uh, Andrade is usually with him, and put it more on on Mox. It was a very good, uh, it was a very good match. I thought that is interesting that they they gave the finish to Yuta because I thought that very clearly the emphasis was on Claudio uh, throughout the match that hmm. uh, that he had the sort of big memorable spots and the the two person swing took a little bit uh, literally and metaphorically to get off the ground, but uh, the he does these uh, feats of strength so well and yeah good good showing strong opener any combination of uh, these guys in the blackpool combat club I, I, you know you you end up with something great um i hate any contract story and, and we're going to talk a bit more about like private party a bit later on but like i just 
I, I like we are simpatico on this. <laughs> I like private party a lot in rank, but like they've just for the better part of like the past two years, I would say they, they creatively they've been given nothing. So yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I feel like the last couple of matches they've had, they have been given more to do that's allowed them to uh, emphasize their considerable mm-hmm. in ring talent, and that this this contract weirdness it does seem to be precipitating. Uh, a, a baby face turn for them, which is where I think they're more effective. But yeah, uh, I we oh, all know God. that. But who wants to turn baby face via like contract storyline? You know, and and again, let's let's save it. Let's save it for a bit later on, Kate. Yeah. Uh, up next, we got the Varsity Blondes taking on Tony Nice and Josh Woods. Uh, this match evidently not important enough to even receive um, a graphic for me to uh, pull from AEW's uh, internal <laughs> service. So I have no, uh, nothing visual to show for it. A uh, real quick high pace match, a showcase really for Nice and Woods. Nice and they, they win with their finisher, which is a combination Olympic slam and neckbreaker. Arn is watching on the monitor from the back. He's incredibly disappointed, seemingly at the varsity blondes, I would imagine. So, um, I think they're starting to attach Arn Anderson to the Varsity Blondes, who are look probably going to no longer be the Varsity Blondes. Because if you, you know, if, if contract tampering stories aren't your thing, maybe IP storylines are your thing. Because Mark Sterling comes out and he says he's trademarked the term Varsity in pro wrestling. So now Neeson Woods are now going to be known as the Varsity Athletes. The Blondes can no longer use that name or else he will sue them. Uh, and again, seemingly it's teasing a name change for the varsity blondes. Um, I know they're building probably to a feud and maybe they need some sort of justification for the varsity blondes to change their gimmick, but the varsity athletes is an awful name. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to take this tag team seriously. Call well, them varsity and, and athletes. I think that the reason varsity blondes worked for Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. was they were they are both young guys they look kind of they have that sort of college guy look like they're they're both a little older than uh, the college age but they're they're rising stars whereas niece and woods are both veterans and so i don't like where is the like the the varsity tie in there i have no idea lost on me and yeah, I guess it, like varsity is something that I would normally associate with kind of youth and fun and good times and the sort of the, the very bubbly presentation that they have given to uh, to Pillman and Garrison, particularly when they had Julia Hart with them. I think that, that uh, they really did kind of embody that name. I, yeah, Nice and Woods are more just killers. I don't understand why you would apply this name to them and i just plead for the love of christ stop with the contract and the legal and all of this stuff like no there has you have too much stuff going on in the real world that is tied Mm -hmm. into this kind of thing that many of us just don't want to think about and i i want none of it on my tv i because it's just it's not particularly entertaining and it just it feels unpleasant because of all of this other stuff circling around the company right now that is unpleasant Mm -hmm. uh so the acclaim then interrupt mark sterling who says he you know his groin has been hurting since being scissored on wednesday uh the acclaim show up they're here to make the show watchable smart mark is boring they're here to save the ratings he's they're gonna rock him in the face like draymond green 
and just a little cameo here from the acclaimed. Mm-hmm. You know, they get a big pop. No real, no real, real other other. Uh, they they are starting to feel as uh, as necessary to AEW programming as Mox on some at, at on some level. Like you oh, just yeah. you want you're waiting for them to come out. I mean, it's not. Uh, I mean, yes, it's it's a cheeky little reference about saving the ratings and making the show seem relevant, but that's not entirely wrong. You're waiting for them to to come out whenever you have an AEW show. We get a video from Eddie Kingston who says he's sorry for losing control at Grand Slam. Uh, just a bit of a reminder about his technical loss to Sammy a couple of weeks ago, uh, which I had totally forgotten about actually uh, on Rampage. But uh, it just feels like such, such old news because there's been so much involved. <laughs> yeah, just, Eddie and Everybody. Sammy seems so quaint yeah. now. It's like, God, it's adorable. Exactly. You got, you got in a fight about a fat joke and you patched it up and then you made a joke about it again. And I you know it's, it's, like, we're way oh past my God. that now. Yeah. <laughs> Up next, we've got... Just, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. We've got Sky Blue. It's a long show, Kate. We've got Sky Blue <laughs> and Madison Rain taking on Ty Mello and Anna J-A-S. Uh, this match... Anna J taps Sky Blue with the Queen Slayer. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have much of a recap for it. It was a very active, fast-paced match. I thought all four of them worked pretty hard, and I, I thought all four looked pretty decent. What do you think, Kate? I did not think that it it embodied the hype that they gave it, which is that somehow Sky Blue and Madison Rain were the wrestlers against uh, Ty and Anna, who were the sports entertainers. Because I thought that they all like they, they all wrestled pretty well, and uh, Ty uh, Ty Mello is probably like is probably the best wrestler among the four of them. Uh, I was just, I was very happy for Ty to get a match. That is her fourth TV match this year. Uh, the only one that has not been a mixed tag match. Uh, yeah. She had she has had a couple of pay-per-view appearances. One was the match where Ruby Soho was injured on the, the pre-show. Uh, the only other, she had a solo match against Jade Cargill in June. And that is, yeah, literally her, like, that's been her year. She has been downgraded essentially to a valet. And that's, that's a, a real shame. So I was exceptionally happy to see her get some time in the ring. It, it was good in ring match, but I mean, I you know I'm going to say this for a lot of the rampage matches. I mean, the heat was kind of non-existent because mm-hmm. there was no real feud, no real story yep. except for like a little backstage scene, and you're kind of left wondering, well, what exactly is this building to? What? Why mm-hmm. am I paying attention to this? Um, I mean, uh, really, just with this showcase. match in particular. Yeah, like was it just an excuse to give somebody ring time who hasn't had it in, in quite some time? Maybe, and maybe that's what kind of Rampage, you know, is for. And but it, but it's got a reputation for being a filler show, and, yeah. and, and I think it's kind of like matches without much. This build. didn't help that. Yeah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Up next, we are about to head to the main event. So of course, we talk to Mark Henry who is with the Death Triangle as well as the Dark Order. They say some words about Brody Lee. Pac says, all respect to Brody Lee, but they are the best trios in the universe. Penta is back in his Joker getup as well. A little preview of what's to come on uh, uh, Dynamite with uh, Swerve speaking ahead of the Billy Gunn match. He's not trying to have a banger, and he doesn't care about catchphrases. He says, time catches us all, including Daddy Time, and he is the clock. So... Uh, good promo from Swerve. Yeah. On on Wednesday, we've got uh, in Toronto, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, advertised as Jungle Boy Jack Perry, by the way. So no mm-hmm. longer just Jungle Boy. He's taken on Luchasaurus, 
That's the big match uh, to, you know, potentially uh, culminate that feud. Swerve versus Billy Gunn. Storm and Sheeta returning Hikaru Sheeta taking on Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Chris Jericho versus Danielson and also later announced Pac versus Orange Cassidy. Spoiler alert, everybody. Pac versus Orange Cassidy for the AEW All-Atlantic Championship. Pac, speaking of which, is doing double duty tonight because he in back-to-back matches. So in the main event here, we've got Death Triangle versus the Dark Order. Um, Silver comes in with this awesome hot tag. He's getting you know the biggest near fall of the match with a brain buster on Pac. Crowd is chanting, Brody, Brody. They hit a pendulum bomb to Phoenix for a two count. We get a big run from Silver and Reynolds that ends with 10 delivering a Brody Lee style discus lariat that gets another big near fall at two. The crowd is chanting, this is awesome. But out comes Jose with an envelope, uh, potentially a, another legal document here. Roosh then hands Pack the bell hammer without Penta and Phoenix noticing. Pack uses the bell hammer on Alex Reynolds before applying the brutalizer for the win. Uh, so again, carrying on the way that uh, Pack beat Orange Cassidy by cheating and now seemingly giving us a bit more clarity about how it works within the death triangle where the Lucha brothers are not aware that Pac mm-hmm. is cheating. Yeah. So I guess they don't watch. Yeah they, uh, yeah, they were very, there is a very clear division about who the heel was that there, that there's, there is a heel within the team and there are two non heels. Like you don't know yet if they're fully, fully baby faces, but they're not implicated in his uh, antics. I have to they- say that uh, in the middle of this match, they had, they had John Silver and Pac, get in the ring together. And until that moment, I had not realized how much I want to see that match. <laughs> I immediately am like, oh yeah, like, no, don't do that for the All-Atlantic title. I mean, we're not, we're getting something else. But Two, two yeah. muscular, buff, <laughs> fast like, guys. Geez, like, I, yeah. I, it's one of those things like, oh, we hadn't thought of that, but yes. Totally, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a very good match in ring at a high level, thanks to Silver and the Death Triangle. This one, I, I felt also, unfortunately, suffered from a rush build. And this one, I give them, you know, full leeway, like, yeah, for that's... rushing, because clearly it was not a scheduled main event. Um, but I thought it was, like, a really interesting opportunity they could have, with maybe a bit more foresight, promoted about Pack pulling double duty in back-to-back matches. I thought that mm-hmm. added a great deal of drama to the match following this. Yes. Um, it, it would have been great if they could have made that a bigger story heading into the match, having Pack react to the news, maybe using that as some justification for him having to resort to cheating because he was up against, mm-hmm. you know, so many odds. Uh, anyway, yeah. Any any other thoughts on the match here, Kate? No, thought it was a thought it was a very good match. Thought it was very enjoyable. I think that there is something to be done with the Dark Order, where there is this sense that they are the perennial bridesmaids. That eventually you're going to like people want to see them get some big win, and I don't know you can hold that off, uh, but eventually it feels like you know you want to see them get to get something, and uh, we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that develops. We move straight into Battle of the Belts 4 as Pac stays outside to defend the All-Atlantic Championship against Trent Barretta. Pac now firmly establishing himself as a heel to this audience is, uh, you know, I, I felt like some of the matches were a little bit tepid on Rampage. I didn't get that sense at all on, on Battle no. of the Belts, man. No, Battle of the Belts, they perked right back up. Yes, they did here because Pac is wrestling as a full heel and Trent came out here 
just full of fire. Uh, he, you know, just to take us through some of the highlights, he hits this avalanche brain buster on pack, uh, uh, or, or he takes an avalanche brain buster, I should say, on his injured neck, of course. Trent then pulls pack from the bottom corner right into position for a pile driver. They fight onto the ramp as pack lifts Trent and hits a brain buster off of the elevated ramp onto a table set up below, just an insane spot. More punishment on Trent's injured neck as Bryce Rensburg is, is threatening to call the match off uh, as Trent waves him off. Pack's back is all cut up from the table. Pack sets up the black arrow, but Trent gets his knees up. Crowd is very hot at this point. Trent then hits a spear, but Pack gets his knee up to block that. We get an avalanche half-and-half suplex from Trent that gets a two-count. Pack then applies the brutalizer while on Trent's back, but Trent gets to the ropes. With Pack continuing to get frustrated, he again grabs the bell hammer, uses it on Trent behind the ref's back, and Trent again, or sorry, Pack again, cheats the win. Your thoughts on this match, Kate? I think that this is where that that issue of not having the time to build up the story of the the back to back matches, uh, it it. Def- it made the ending feel more deflating than it really had to. Like, yes, you're going to shenanigans, the very same shenanigans twice in a row. Uh, you're inviting people to kind of complain about that. But if you had had the opportunity to sort of do this story where, well, yeah, of course he's going to cheat. He is to do two matches in a row. He's going to use whatever tactics he needs to. I, I think that if they could have done that story, it uh, at least a little bit, I, then, uh, it might have made it more effective, but my God, I thought this match was phenomenal. This is my favorite match all night. And I thought that their chemistry was unreal. Uh, And yeah, just seeing how, as you said, the reactions during Rampage were a little cold as to be expected from the, the type of uh, the type of matches that were booked, but Oh my God, did the crowd come alive for this? And rightly so. I think that you went through, you know, you had, at the beginning, you had it was a split cheer, and then you had like this is awesome. You had fight forever. You had people doing an AE dub chant. Uh, I thought, um, yeah, like just excellent work all around. And I thought that they told a good story in the ring of just him constantly going back to attack Trent's neck. And I actually thought that that on its own would have been sufficient to get to the ending where he won clean or relatively clean. I don't think that they. I don't necessarily think they needed to go to the shenanigans i think they wanted uh, to set the theme yeah. obviously and like you know to really kind of cement the pack heel turn be a bell hammer like yeah. him getting frustrated of course i um, didn't hate it but i i didn't you're going to get I that aversion that, yeah. to any sort of cheating anytime on it's rampage twice in a row AEW. in the exact same way yeah well, that's understandable but in yeah. this case i can excuse it because they're trying to you know tell you a story here with pack yeah. um mm-hmm. I, I, you know, hard for me to say whether or not I like this more than Gunther versus Sheamus. I will say I think WWE did a way better job promoting Gunther versus Sheamus by making it feel important yeah. than just kind of a match that honestly I was not that excited for. But because no. No. because I think they these two did such a great job in particular Trent, which I, I mean in pack, you know, wrestling two matches mm-hmm. in a row. I thought the concept of like one person wrestling from one show to another was really um, interesting as well. That might have really it also meant that up. they could switch, like they could do the switch incredibly quickly. Like I actually yeah. ended up missing about the first minute or two of the uh, Pack Beretta match mm-hmm. just because I had to, I was watching Same. online. I had to switch feeds, so it's like, oh shit! <laughs> yeah, people in the uh, U.S. And by the time I logged in, it was like, okay, they're like we're already uh, the off to the races. 
Yeah, people on TNT obviously didn't have that issue, but us watching online on the TSN app, they had it on two separate places where you have to log out and then switch to TV. So, uh, yeah, so this this I think puts a lot of attention on pack, of course, of course, for that covert heel turn. Out came Orange Cassidy right afterwards, so they set up the rematch for Toronto. Um, I. I, I I like this whole, a whole lot. I think Pac has been doing tremendous as his champion. I just I, I some a part of me feels like he he needs a bit more presence, you know, to uh, on TV to to feel like this is more more than just a story that's being built built up through like hot matches. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I think also uh, this feels like they might move the title onto Orange Cassidy, but I hope they don't because I think that Pac's done a, a very he was doing a very cool thing going around and defending this belt at different promotions, which at least made it feel like it should have a purpose. And uh, I think that with, with him, he's the way that he is uh, working with that belt is going to be better than just having it on orange Cassidy, who's pretty much exclusively uh, an AEW Mm -hmm. television performer. Mm -hmm. I don't see so much a total change myself. You know, um, mm. just maybe more confirmation somehow that Packer will be wrestling as a heel. Yeah. But we'll see on Sunday. I hope you're right. I mean, all Atlantic. I mean, Canada is um, is bordering the Atlantic at least. So um, it would be a, a great place for them bordering to, everything, yeah. to do a title change. You're right. We do kind of border everything. Uh, all right. Jericho is with 2.0. They're in the back. They tell Daniel Garcia that it's time to come back, come back to their family. 2.0 is their dad. Jericho is like his brother. Uh, Jericho tells Shivani that what he does is not cheating. It's a guideline on how to become a world champion. He tells Danielson that he's going to appear as the Lionheart in his match next week on Dynamite. A little video package here from Claudio talking about wanting a rematch for the ROH title. So he is uh, trying to get the winner of Brian versus Jericho. So we potentially get a rematch against Jericho or a match against a stable mate in the Blackpool Combat Club. A- any predictions right now for who comes out of that one, Kate? Um, I, I think Jericho retains um, because I think that he is still probably the best person to be carrying your banner if you're trying to get a TV deal. I don't know how close. There was something that came out this week where it was basically that uh, supposedly the uh, time, uh, uh, TBS Time, Warner Discovery, like the, all <laughs> the company had basically told them it's like, Oh yeah, you know, keep doing the ring of honor pay-per-views and you know, we'll be, we'll pay attention and figure out like what we can do for TV, which just sounds like a terrible thing to hear uh, to me because it's basically like nothing. It's, it's like, there's no progress we made whatsoever. But if you are, if you do feel that you're getting close to a ring of honor TV deal, I, th- I do think that Jericho is more the rating straw. He's going to be as, as well loved as Brian Danielson is. I think that the Jericho is still the bigger star. Uh, so I suspect it will stay on him. I am. Uh, I do want to see Danielson get a big win soon though. Mm-hmm. I really do. Up next, we've got for the TBS championship, Jade Cargill taking on Willow Nightingale. Crowd, I felt pretty hot for this one right off the bat mm-hmm. here. And I think a clear indicator of, you know, Jade's presence and also Willow in particular with the relatively small amount of airtime that she's been given here. So 
Early on, Willow delivers a low tope right into the baddies. Jade then delivers a wheelbarrow slam to Willow right on the steel steps to take us to commercial break. As we come back, we get some miscommunication between the two of them right before a tilt a whirl exchange. Uh, Willow then goes again for uh, for the tilt a whirl, but Jade counters with the power slam, following up with Jade for the win, taking her to thirty nine and zero. Your thoughts on the match, Kate? I thought it was very good. I thought that they had good chemistry. I thought that it was an interesting story that you were telling because normally Jade is the powerhouse and she's able to just run straight through whoever she's up against. Willow is a a bigger girl. She doesn't have that clear power advantage and they, they used that to tell the story. I thought it was a good showing for Willow. I don't know that, I mean, they already had sort of presented her like from a, a, a position of weakness because she was already talking about how she was 0-2 against Jade. So having her go 0-3 in short order that it's like, okay. Uh, they did point out on commentary that this is a lot longer than she she lasted in their last singles match. Um, and, but I thought very good showing for her. Uh, the thing that confused me, I guess, would like, like just to, to talk briefly about the, the post-match was they were in Nyla Rose's hometown. What, they had already eased this match. Why would you not go to that match in like where you have a, where it's obviously going to get a big record? Now, look, they did the these two characters are ones that the audience is quite invested in, which is an accomplishment in that women's division. But uh, but yeah, it just it struck me as weird, like that you had you almost seemed to set up Jade versus Nyla, and then you kind of whipped the rug out from under that to go with willow versus jade in nyla's hometown only to do a post-match angle with nyla i would suggest that it's probably because they don't consider battle of the belts to be a an important enough Mm. show for something that is actually you know um built from story um and that's to me what battle of the belts is right now if anything well, it ain't like, getting important or if you do things like this well it, it honestly feels like it's at, at this point sort of like the c-level show you know if we're talking about rampage being a b-level just you know and, and that's no slight on any of the talent it's it's a slight on the lack of story that, story. that we're, we're devoting to these matches this was just kind of like you know thrown together on 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 a, on, a, on on the wednesday right before this wait till we get to the main event okay but like you know the the, the in ring is, is is always quality on any AEW branded programming, right? Um, but it's the lack of story time and the lack of attention to to get to a challenge like this. Why is Willow Nightingale coming off of two losses to Jade Gar- Cargill getting a title shot? Um, I know she got a pinfall, but like I think you need to put a bit more steam and me- momentum behind challengers. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime they're competing for any sort yeah. of championship, and that means not introducing them like on tv (laughs) and wait till okay let's get to the main event here all right uh so great energy from the crowd here for this willow willow match um they they they, they're giving her the underdog push but like this crowd is there for it like they want to see her succeed whenever they want to pull that trigger um Matt Hardy, <laughs> Matt Hardy is with uh uh stokely hathaway and ethan page Matt Hardy wants to know why Ethan Page and Stokely have been following him. Stokely has his iPad footage out of Hardy speaking to Private Party in the back as he continues to accuse Matt Hardy of contract tampering. Um, Matt Hardy says they were just talking. You know, they they they're they're longtime friends. He's their mentor, and he's not contract tampering. 
uh, as we've been discussing, Kate, this sort of contract tampering story is so Bush league, especially now. You know, it's it's it's. I'm trying to think of a time when it might have been clever. You know, I understand like this is a company that is catering to an audience that is paying attention to the online stuff, but when it's hard to but laugh. We at, hate this. Well, we it's don't hard, like the online. If you look at people's online reaction, we fucking hate it. No it, one wants this. In particular, now, Kate, when it, it, it's really hard to laugh at any of AEW's digs at WWE yeah. when they're making far more headlines for their own internal problems. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. It might have been some some talents like kind of clever way of like you know building up to storyline, but. For for one thing, nobody wants to see any more fucking contracts like to lead to feuds. And secondly, any sort of attempt at a dig at the rival organization, they might consider cooling that off right now until they get their own issues fixed. Yeah, definitely. So um, speaking of letters and things that printed on paper, Hook is interviewed up next. And this is actually maybe a step in the right direction because he's interviewed by Lexi Nair as he is asked about the Truth Busters letter that they left to, uh, to Hook as Hook tears up this letter. So we don't even know what it says. Could have been a contract. Could have been, um, I don't know, some sort of uh, implication of, of contract tampering. I'm now like scared whenever I see paper on this show. We will never know. Sheeta and Storm cut a bit of a promo ahead of their match next week on Dynamite. Sheeta's back. She cuts a fiery promo on Britt Baker. And then we get our main event here. Four hours of wrestling. It all culminates with this. For the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles, we've got FTR defending them against the Gates of Agony. Now, I love FTR, of course. And I actually, I'm quite liking the Gates of Agony with this, uh, you know, the embassy as part of like Prince Nana's stable. I have no time for a world tag team title match being built off of a team that's made only one appearance on AEW television, a rampage match since July. Who the hell are the gates of agony if you're just a casual AEW viewer? And why are they suddenly getting a tag team match? I mean, I know the answer. Yes, they are an ROH tag team. I suppose they're the only ROH tag team, and that's why they're getting it. But to me, like especially to end the night off like this, feels just like we're just getting a match, you know, like mm-hmm. for the sake of a, a match. I honestly think I might've gone with, uh, with Jaden Willow at the end. I think that it would have been a little more energetic. It was a tighter match. It was nothing, not that there was anything wrong with the, the, the FTR gates of agony match. I thought they did pretty well. Um, but yeah, this, it, unfortunately it was very, uh, very typical of the sort of scattered energy that you're that you're getting uh, when you start sort of mixing AEW Ring of Honor, and obviously it's just they wanted to give people something with Ring of Honor with uh, with FTR, uh, which mm. I absolutely support. But this was, I mean, that's great. But give me the give me the proper mm-hmm. introduction about who the Gates of Agony are and why they're suddenly deserving of a championship match. Like you're just yeah, and I think that they, they, Tony was saying that they he wants to. Um, to to get into using video packages and things like that more, which uh, there's been some progress on that in the last week, uh, in the last couple of weeks. But okay, so do that. This is a perfect example of when you should have done this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just calls to me like continued issues with I think AEW's ability to tell stories, and this is not any sort of like slight on 
the top level guys, like an MJF is a great storyteller. A Chris Jericho is an amazing storyteller. But some of these other guys, and I'm talking about like 80% of the other roster who doesn't get that airtime. Um, why aren't they getting that airtime? You know, um, and, and, and if it's just matches, could these slots not be better used to show to, I don't know, build up to like larger stories with other people. I, anyway, I, I'm, I'm kind of rambling at this point. We should try to finish up this, this recap. ROH tag titles, FTR versus the Gates of Agony. Gun Club are watching in the crowd dressed up as Dax and Cash. So that's that's really the match that we're building up to with this mm-hmm. tag team title defense. Long heat on Cash throughout the break as Prince Donna stomps on him on, on the floor. Dax finally comes in with the hot tag, but he's quickly cut off by Toa, who um, is kind of being built as like the monster of, 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 of the uh, of the match here. FTR have to double team to finally take Toa down. FTR then hit a double draping DDT to Toa, a bit of a reference to the prior Randy Orton connection. FTR then goes for the big rig on Toa, but Toa is way too heavy to get up for it. So it takes them three attempts, but FTR finally hit it. Nana distracts them for a cover as Dax throws Khan's into Khan into him, and then Dax hits the backslide on Khan for the victory. Uh, mm-hmm. Good match, but I mean, mm-hmm. to me, this is where I felt my energy dip, especially at the end of four hours, where a lack of introduction nor real build to why this match was happening was certainly affecting me. Uh, yeah, I think that I I was feeling I was feeling this one. Uh, a little more again that i i like the match i i did think it did make me want to uh the, the, like do i want to see more from the gates of agony yeah actually i do would i be interested in seeing them and uh and brian cage do something in a trios program yeah i would so in that sense it was successful but it's just starting people off with uh with a a, a title shot like this it's like okay but i need I need a reason to be invested in this. And you've got an embarrassment of riches. You just, you know, they, they need to work on, on how to manage them a little better. Yeah. I understand like the, the issue of wanting a card to feel attractive enough to be considered, you know, a, a battle for the belts special battle of the belt special. Mm-hmm. And that's why he wants to put more title defenses on, but a, like a title defense without, story without like justification for the title defense happening and like not more than one appearance on rampage from the challengers just makes makes devalues the titles in my opinion it's, but it's wrestling it's not boxing like you, boxing you can do that like okay you're next you get the like you guys get the next shot you get the next shot uh, it's like wrestling you watch wrestling because there is that element of storytelling to it and the this element of scripted storytelling to it if it doesn't have that, then yes, it is lacking an important element. Did you I like did, the match? I like the match too. Like, especially like the way that they presented Toa as a giant. I thought he made a real impression. And, mm-hmm. and again, I I want to see more of this like Gates Gates of Agony embassy thing. After the match, after the match, we had Cage, Wardlow, and Joe all coming out to a brawl. They're doing a stare down. So similar scene as Wednesday. Uh, further, you know, faction warfare between all of these few. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like, you know, tonight changed your opinion at all about Battle of the Belts? Where do you see Battle of the Belts as sort of a concept and, and as, a, as a fan right now? It's always felt like a second hour of Rampage. So this actually felt like the best, the best way to, to put it. I thought that um, it felt like a bigger deal than Rampage did tonight. Uh, but that is more 
maybe a criticism of Rampage than it is uh, praise to Battle of the Belts. I think that those specials are still a very much, uh, they're a work in progress. And I might be, uh, they, which is that they're enjoyable wrestling, but they, mm-hmm. they're not there yet. I think, um, yeah, I, so I, 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 I definitely look, I think that tonight's rampage was more along the lines of the rampage, the B show that we, that uh, we've come to expect. I do think that they should look at, um, at doing and. I don't know if this is financially viable, but having a lot, having it live made a big difference. And you could absolutely tell with the energy of the crowd. That, so, uh, so yeah, that was the thing, you know, the, tonight sort of, um, uh, you know, was, was, um, I believe the first in a series of like standalone rampages. And, and this comes off of, I think a lot of, you know, public, publicly public criticism towards the importance of rampage. Um, I believe like uh, Tony s- saying that he wants to re- revamp it somehow. I didn't get much much of a sense of a revamp beyond the addition of a second hour in the form of the Battle of the Belt. No. And, and what I mean by that is, like, I uh, it just felt like a series of matches to me. Yes, they're hot matches. Yes, they're for titles. But they're not for titles that really mean a whole lot. Um, yeah. I, what I'm missing is, is still the element of storytelling. You had, you know, somebody – and really star power – and presence on the show, you know, I, you had a John Moxley available to you on tonight's show, and I, I think like in order to make this feel more like um, a dynamite, maybe having him like you know actually maybe speaking a little bit on the show, I, there might be some reluctance on like featuring people two times from Dynamite hmm. and Rampage. I, I don't think that's an issue. Like I think when you're trying to cre- you know create the the perception that Rampage is also for your stars, like you should be having your stars doing similar things on 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 both See, shows. I do think it's an issue. I think that with the size of the roster they have, they have to be they they should be spreading out who appears on which shows. They just have to be more judicious about making sure that the big stars do uh, do get spread out between the shows and that they're not all just con- concentrated on dynamite um so yeah i i would not have i don't know that i would have chosen to have moxley speak uh on on there i think that you could have played around with the the, the format a bit between this and dynamite to try to get like a better balance of uh, so maybe if not mox then maybe have his opponent speak you know and and, Mm -hmm. and an mjf or a future opponent like have have rampage actually feel like a necessary part of the other side of the story yes and 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 thus far i mean they're just hot matches and i can watch Mm -hmm. hot matches like (laughs) on any show right now so um those are some of our thoughts on tonight's wrestling. We've gone on for a long time, but we want to hear from you guys. And because we're available for free, everybody, that means anybody can call in right now to speak to us. And all you have to do is go to the show description right now, find the call-in link. We are operating through StreamYard, so just log in through StreamYard, and we will get a chance to talk to you. Let's start off here with Brian. Brian, welcome to, well, uh, Brian, welcome to Rwanda SmackDown. Hey. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, fantastic show covering four hours of TV, Wayne Kate. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of good stuff from tonight. Um, my favorite matches, uh, from SmackDown, Guther and Sheamus and from 
two hours of AEW, uh, Pack and Trent, uh, even though both matches ended with uh, you know the shady uh, foreign object finishes. Uh, but nevertheless, they're, they're building to future matches at both those matches. So that's all well and good. And uh, with the on SmackDown, I think one thing being lost in the shuffle is the journey of one walking wild. He went from this young fan who admittedly was the designer of the first ROH logo to Shima Zion, to Zima Ion, to DJZ, to NXT, and now SmackDown. And that is just so freaking cool to me how far this young guy is gone. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, within AEW, uh, you know, in regards to the ROH Incorporation, not sure if this is being talked about enough, but I say just pull the trigger, bring in the Briscoes. Yeah, I mean, they are a notable sort of omission from like any sort of ROH content on AEW. And and I don't know, part of me like still wonders if there's sort of any weirdness with like war- that that reported mm, yeah. I, thing from war. Yeah, I think that, that if they're not bringing them in, I think it's because it's that's the network's call uh, at this point. And, uh, and if it is the network's call, maybe the network should educate themselves a little more about what's actually been said, because I, I think that... I personally think that they have done enough to to clarify the situation and to try to yeah. uh, apologize for what was said. Yeah, what's been said since. I just think uh, those two interacting with Jericho as the new ROH champion and his crew, I think, would be quite entertaining. And that's you know that's pretty much all I have to say tonight. And you know, obviously, rest in peace to Sarah Lee. Very tragic story, but uh, the uh, the outpouring of support from numerous names in the wrestling industry, like $10,000 from Tony Khan, several thousand from uh, her former colleagues and maybe people she's never worked with. It's just very nice to see. So, uh, yeah, that's all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brian, as always for the call. Uh, I neglected to do this earlier, but I want to give special attention, of course, to our super chats. And this one, 11, 11, from Reggie Simmons says, I have no idea how you guys get through packed wrestling weekends like this, but so grateful you do post wrestling for life or at least until the caffeine wears off. F tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you so much for the 11, 11 uh, support Reggie Simmons. I like that number. And then we got a Davidian altar who sends $5 of, of super chat who says I could listen away. Talk about paint drying. AEW is WCW 2022. Um, Thank you so much for the support. I mean, that is an, an uh, analogy that has been made in uh, good and bad. One of the best memes I've ever seen, Kate, has like been. I mean, I will pull it up maybe during the next call. But um, anyway, let's go to uh, let's go to Hanzi. Hanzi, thank you for joining us. What's up? What's going on? Yo, wait. Before I ask my question, and I'll, I'll move on quick. I don't. I don't want to derail the conversation. It's because you used a couple of words, and maybe because I've been watching this for for a while now. Have you watched Sopranos recently or something? I have not. Why? Oh, okay. Because when you used inferring and the genesis of whatever, like those are two common phrases. And plus, so, there is a good tie-in because Sterling did make a reference when he said those guys never had the makings of a varsity athlete. It's uh, what like Tony Soprano's uncle said when he had Alzheimer's, and it just made Tony snap. So it was like a little callback on on uh, that Sterling did or whatever. If anyone missed that, but I, I, but like I'm the only one that caught it most likely. But, I was gonna uh, say I think everyone missed that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm sure. I'm sure the Sopranos mark now that you know. I, 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 it's it's stupid, but um, awesome. 
<laughs> um, but um, I was going to say that um, there's two theories that I've been seeing floating around about Sami Zayn. One is that people think that when they turn on him that, like, he's going to... Because, like, maybe he's been doing the conspiracy stuff still, and the only way to crack it is going to the top guy who like basically run stuff because you're kind of infiltrating the top the top space, the top draw, the most important guy on the roster or something. Or and some people think because Jay Uso has been so subservient that like when he gets over like I look at one thing I like I appreciate about Jay Uso when he gets overly hype, it comes across as a guy that's been beaten to death like been in some servitude that like he's like being aggressive because he's still having Stockholm syndrome. So he gets like overhyped, like he's still kind of a prisoner of Roman Reigns, right? So some people think that Jay Uso doesn't really hate Sammy. He thinks that, that he's getting mad because he's seeing someone else get sucked in to Roman Reigns' atmosphere and he's trying to actually save Sami Zayn, maybe. But again, those are interesting theories. Maybe they'll maybe they go for them. I have no idea. But uh, I mean, those are two pretty compelling ones that could be, you know, further investigated into, you know what I mean? I think that certainly Jay's uh, body language in the segment at the beginning tonight did lend itself to an interpretation that he does almost suffer from a kind of PTSD uh, where he, he was, the, 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 the gestures were very much sort of subservient, someone who had been beaten down, someone who uh, was sort of, scared to stand up for themselves so we'll see yeah um and you know that's it, it, a good thought what the call I, I appreciate that and before i go i'll just talk about aw i i it's a shame that like 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 the thing is the reason why some of these shows might not feel as like like maybe because they're, they're quality but like there's not really much really going on in the sense that like some of these matches feel empty is that when like the real life discourse overrides it I think that honestly, because again, if, if you're somebody like maybe for other people that don't go online, they can go out and just enjoy a show. Like when I when I'm when I'm not on Twitter or anything like that, I'm just enjoying it. I know I'll enjoy shows a lot more because I'm not on Reddit or social media, right? So now it feels like because story stories are like you know in the 24/7 news cycle, there's things breaking that like now like it just makes the program and if, I, if i'm someone like like for them for aw to know, kind of know that something could happen if i'm the talent i would be kind of pissed because the talent put on one of like the best quality shows on dynamite for the third year anniversary like that mgf and yuda match is something that we should be talking mm-hmm. about with the old school tactics of maximizing the most truck the most reaction but like instead of talking about somebody wants to leave like if someone wants to leave then just let them leave like i just can't imagine that like if someone doesn't want to be somewhere that like you're going to let some guy cause a lot of trouble to then get fired or whatever whatever the whatever the narrative is today like it, it changes every single time so i think when that stuff goes on half of the stuff doesn't really mean anything. Like, if you want to make Battle of the Belts feel special, you need maybe just do, like like, like Pollock said a couple of weeks ago, maybe advertise a couple of matches, have a world title match that goes the entire hour. Like, you know what I mean? Like, make these shows feel special. Like, mm-hmm. you, you can't just give away title matches every single week. You know what I mean? Because I, I get why they do that. They do that because you want to get, like, filler defenses out of the way. But there should be overall storylines of where things are going. And sometimes I feel like they do quick ones and they scatter their feuds. And, and that's all i got to say, but I'm sorry for rambling on, and you guys have a good night. We, I'll, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow um, for... Uh, mm-hmm. um, for Soon rules. 
Great. Thank you so much for letting me talk, man. Peace out. Thank you as always, Hanzi. Yeah, Extreme Rules post show tomorrow with me and John right here, uh, youtube.com slash post wrestling. But, you know, like, I, again, I feel like Tony Khan is relying on titles really just as sort of like, hey, watch this because it's it's for a title without any mm-hmm. sort of like explanation about but why. He's got so many title titles. Like, okay, well, why am I invested in the all Atlantic title as opposed to the TNT title? Well, not, not even opposed to, but it's just it's a lot of friggin' titles moving around. I will say that I don't uh, I, I think that amidst the very very valid criticism it can get lost that this is a company that has just sometimes through its, its <laughs> through, because of its uh, its own functions uh, they have lost a ton of people to injuries they have had uh, they they've had to strip people of, of titles in the short and long term. They have this ugly, ugly scene going on right now with the person who was their world champion and three of their executive vice presidents. There have been all of these. They had this thing with Andrade where they, they forced them to rebook uh, a match for tonight. There is so much that they're having to juggle. Uh, that is just outside of like, even if they wanted to build stories, it's becoming very difficult because it's just every single week, some new kind of wrench is being thrown into the works. And I I do think that that is a much bigger factor in, in terms of the, like the effect it's having on their storytelling than we're letting on. Very fair. Let's go up next to Muggin. Welcome to Rewind of Smackdown, Muggin. Hey. Hello and good evening. How are you doing? Hey, what's up? Good. Um, I mean, I had, t- I had time for Smackdown tonight because I was watching uh, Werewolf by Night again. I-, I loved it. It's excellent. Yeah. Very good. Kate, this might be a, an MCU thing you might be into if you're into horror. Oh, yeah? Horror. yeah. I, keep season, for, so I keep looking for an in. Like, I, keep, I, I keep asking people to tell me, is well, this, this is- okay? Because that's the thing. Like, I, I didn't get started to- and now I'm afraid. Kate, you don't have to. You, Kate, you don't have to watch anything prior to to enjoy World by Night. You can enjoy it on its own. Anyway, um, about SmackDown, um, there was a lot to like. Um, it's about time Legado de Fantasma showed up because I feel like my biggest gripe with SmackDown since the new regime change happened was like you know Raw was getting like a, Raw was having a lot more having a lot more of the fun with when it comes to like returns and uh, debuts. I mean, they got Johnny, Candice, DK, EO, Baylor coming back as well. I feel like, you know, SmackDown, on the other hand, they had Karrion Cross, whatever. But, I mean, to me, Legato is like, to me, Legato is like the, like the first big get for SmackDown. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, having Zelina Vega being, uh, being their female in the group is uh, definitely a big, definitely a big bonus. I mean, as far as Electra Lopez is, is concerned, I mean, I feel like she'll be better suited in NXT so she can get her reps in. And I could definitely see a scenario where, um, like, like six months later, like, if she does make, get the call up, I could definitely see her and Zelina being a tag team. Because I feel like that division needs more. Needs more. Kate, would you be okay with that? Uh, Zelina getting into the tag team division. <laughs> I. Um, it's an idea. Maybe, maybe it is an idea. Um, I don't know. Maybe character wise, but uh, I, I think that they have a lot of very talented women under contracts, and if they right. want to, uh, if they want to build a women's tag division, they should focus on the ones who are strongest in ring. Great, cool, and um, I enjoyed. I loved the main event. It wasn't at the level as it wasn't at the level as Clash of the Castle, but Gunther and Sheamus really had a a very good main event. I do, th- and 
the way the way it ended, it definitely begs for a third match. And it, only if Sheamus gets the title that it's eluded him his whole, his whole career. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Gruther may have to take the loss here, but I mean, I'm sure there'll be a, I'm sure there'll be a hell of a moment. And to go to AEW for a minute, man, I mean, I'm, I'm still racking my brain over how Sammy Guevara got out got out of this scot free. Because I mean. It did, did pour a little bit of water on the Garcia Jericho story because I so, feel like there's a lot. So of the latest there. reports ha- are, 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 um, from, I believe, Meltzer say, say that like he did not throw a punch in that he essentially was getting punched and that he didn't do anything physically. And that he actually might have taken some steps to avoid a confrontation. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is, and, yeah, I mean, hard to, hard to tell exactly what's going on, but. But I do I mean I mean to me, like I mean Jericho being the Ring of Honor World Champion and Garcia being the pure champion definitely does indicate that full gear will be uh, uh, a unification because I wanted because Gar- Garcia's been going on about Danielson being his hero. And I could definitely see a scenario where Garcia like pulls a page out of his hero's book with two titles. You know? Sure. But it all hinges on what happens in Toronto because I mean do you mm-hmm. does it, like? Does anybody see Danielson beating Jericho just to like you know throw a wrench into that into that story? Because I feel like Garcia has to take a stand at some point. Yeah, we, Jericho's we, trying to piss on the grave, piss on everything ROH. I no, I don't think so. I mean, I, 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 yeah, maybe Garcia. You know, I mean, the turn at this point wouldn't make a whole lot of sense because like Garcia's already know. like fought fought against uh, Jericho, right? So, I mean, um, I, I don't see a title change. I feel like we've just kind of been hot potatoing that ROH title a little bit much. Um, so I, I, I think Jericho retains. Maybe we get the second Claudio match. And I, I like. I think Jericho's been doing so great. He's just getting started with this whole Ring of Jericho thing. So I'm not anticipating a title change. Are you going to the show, Muggin? I live in Ottawa. But, I mean, I live, oh, that's right. I live in Ottawa. But, like, I mean, if COVID wasn't a thing and, and if I could teleport, I would. And lastly, this is for Kate. This is for Kate. Okay. Um, with Soraya getting the green light, potentially getting back in the ring, you know, at some point against Britt Baker, does anybody, does anyone here feel that Tony Storm being the interim champion is being a supporting act in this whole story? And on top of that, I'm, I'm, on top of that, I'm, I'm just aching. I'm aching for Jamie Hader to split from Britt Baker. We all are. Everybody we all is. are. And that is, she is clearly the one with momentum right now. I yes. think that, yes, absolutely. Um, Tony does feel like the secondary player or a secondary player in the women's division right now. But I think that's a, been a problem for them with their women's championship before. Uh, Rio did not always feel like she did not feel like the biggest star in the, the division. She did not feel like the one who was getting the most attention when she had the belt. Sheeta often didn't. Sheeta was often uh, eclipsed by what Britt Baker was doing. And I think Thunder Rosa, same thing uh, that, uh, you know, Jade has, has come along and has sort of had this enhanced star power that the, the world champion just hasn't had. Like this is, yes, it's, it's true. It is happening to Tony storm, but that's been the case for more champions than it hasn't been. And then I also want to bring up, you know, Chris Stantler was, you know, just as she was starting to gain traction, like, you know, yeah. caught a nasty break with her when, with yeah. another knee injury. So, I mean, I could I could see a scenario where instead of Jamie going after the uh, the women's championship, she can, I mean, I could see her being the one in, Jay, in Jay Cargill's unbeaten streak. Very that'd possible. Be, yeah, that is, be, yeah, I could definitely be, see be, that. That'll be, nice, that'll be a nice cherry on top from a split with Britt Baker. All right, guys, mm-hmm. I got to go. Happy, happy Thanksgiving in advance. Thank you guys for Thank being you. this late.
And I hope Shit. you're going to uh, immediately change that battery in your smoke alarm again. It's very dangerous to have a low functioning smoke alarm. Okay? It's, it's been bu- it's been bugging us. It's been bugging us for weeks. I mean, we'll be trying. We'll, we'll, we'll get a fire minute help out. So thank you. <laughs> okay. See you later. <laughs> All right. We go up next to Jake. Our last call of the day. What's up, Jake? Hey guys, how's it going? Long time no speak. Uh, by, That's right. Uh, it did. Uh, by the way, I really enjoyed. Uh, wait, just a uh, what what Morgan said. Uh, really enjoyed Werewolf by Night. I uh, just saw it earlier today too. Uh, you know, we're heading into like the Halloween season, so it was a great uh, fill, um, uh, filler to that. Mm-hmm. But I, I seriously can't wait till Christmas. I'm looking forward to that Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. <laughs> that they're, uh, that yeah, they're on that. there's so been a lot of. A lot of, I would say, to me, like the the, the phase four output from that from Marvel has been a bit of a mixed bag, you know, especially as of late. And uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of interesting discussion, I'm sure, this uh, this Thursday on MCU later, uh, in which I'll be returning along with Nate Milton to join Rich Fan and WH Park. So that's available on the Post Wrestling Cafe if you guys subscribe to this as well. But thank you for my ability to put put in that cheap plug there, Jake. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, we're really looking forward uh, to your return. So, um, but yeah, I really enjoyed uh, uh, the uh, four hours of wrestling tonight. So I decided to take the night off and just to, just to casually watch. And yeah, I mean, I know that um, a lot of people say that uh, a lot of sto- uh, there should be more emphasis on story uh, in terms of, like Rampage and as far as like Battle of the Belts is concerned. Um, but I, I do. Uh, I do understand where people are coming from, and I and I agree in some parts. But I do I do kind of enjoy uh, what the direction Pac is going in right now, uh, with the kind of like um, uh, kind of like you know, uh, developing his character and using yeah. and using his cheating ability. He's using his cheating ways to get the win. Sorry, what, we were going to say something. I I think it's great too. That is like one of the lone storytelling elements mm-hmm. from tonight's two hours that I thought were a positive. I wish we had more right. of that. I wish we had more build up to those moments. The fact that he was about to wrestle, you know, a double header, like two two back to back matches in a row, um, whatever is mentally is going through his head, like leading to some of the justification for cheating, just this, uh, or a simple build up of his opponent, like uh, opponent yeah, in Triparetta. Sure. I, I would have appreciated all of that. Yeah, absolutely. With the hammer and uh, and it's constantly using the hammer, so I got to give props to to that. And hopefully, they'll probably. Uh, he will continue with that uh, with that gimmick uh, hopefully going forward, like you know, cheating his way to win matches. And uh, yeah. yeah, even though like you know, uh, regardless of what uh, people think of the All Atlantic uh, Championship, but it really fits uh, Pac's character well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. well. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is that um, I really enjoyed. Um, I know a lot of people like were kind of like had, it was a mixed bag for uh, some people. Uh, the uh, uh, what Tony Khan interview with uh, with Ariel Hawani. And uh, I, I got to say, like, shout out to Helwani, a fellow Montrealer for Kate. Uh, he's been getting the big wrestling interviews. Uh, he was uh, with uh, with Paul Levesque and Tony Khan as well, getting both sides of the aisle. So, I mean, you know, shout out to him. <laughs> he's like, he's pretty good. And the man is everywhere. Good. Yeah, the man's everywhere. It's like, it's crazy. So <laughs> shout out to him. Um, did, did you listen to the interview, Kate? I haven't. Uh, no. I, I. It is interesting to me because I know that, yeah, he had that, that very good uh, widely publicized and uh, in-depth interview with uh with paul levesque which i did uh which i did listen yeah. to um it's interesting to to me to see him talking to uh, uh, to see what he was saying with tony khan because he hawani has closer ties with wwe in general so this is sort of new ground uh for him in a lot of ways and it's interesting that uh that tony khan well 
Hawani's yeah. high in profile. People aren't going to say no, but uh, it's interesting to see him sort of kind of stick his head in the lion's mouth a bit there. He, he works for BT, which does have a, a relationship with WWE, and I believe he did some sort of panel, like on, on a kickoff, maybe. If that, if I'm yeah, he does mistaken. like a uh, pre-panel and post-panel, like after uh, like the big mm-hmm. pay-per-views, right? Um, but I mean, he's like he—he's not affiliated officially. Uh, no, no, no. I didn't mean to, to, to say that he was like under the under contract right. with them or anything. I, I will say, like, I did listen to the Tony Khan interview. Um, I feel so much for Errol Hawani for trying to go like pry information out of this man who just would not let any interesting information slip. Um, and despite that, like Tony Khan, like. He like I feel like half of his answers were like I, I can't discuss. You could ask me that question, but I can't answer it right now. Um, but despite all that, the guy seems to be having a hell of a time just hanging out, like extending the interview by like you know <laughs> forty five minutes to like I don't know like an hour and a half. Um, yep. So he he seems he's he's an interesting person. Not, I I really feel like public opinion about Tony Khan at this point continues to be maybe a bit more muddy than it was like in the, in the first couple of years of AEW's existence. Um, some of the flaws in character, I feel like are starting to at least appear to, to a public that at one point probably felt like he could do no wrong. Um, and I don't know, like it, it just seemed like a really difficult interview, you know, for somebody. So credit to Hawani for at least trying to ask. Yeah. I, I, I do got to say that the, uh, there is a stark difference between, uh, the interviews uh, with Tony Khan and Paul Levesque. Uh, you know, Paul Levesque uh, kind of um, like he answered his uh, he answered Ariel's questions in a more professional manner, I would say, and uh, more smoothly. Um, while it's like, and I understand with Tony Khan, like you know, there's some legal issues and um, some. Hmm. I think also Tony Khan is uh, he he does not have a lot of media training that has been done with him. And it's very obvious. Whereas with Levesque, yeah, this is someone who is primed by a PR team. Well, he spent his career becoming a pro wrestler, like speaking to the public, right? In a very controlled manner. So it's no no sort of like indicator of the authenticity of either person, but just maybe how 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 smoothly perhaps they might Mm -hmm. come across an interview. Yes. Yeah, but the one thing I did enjoy is that uh, you know Tony Khan is like um, even though like some mixed uh, mixed feelings from from the general audience, but uh, he he seen, he is an authentic fan, which I will give him credit for, and yes. he does have like a genuine conversation talking about uh, their favorite eras, uh, both him and Ariel. It's like uh, debating about that. So yeah, overall I didn't have much too much issue with it, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I, mean, I would love to see. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would love to see. Uh, uh, well, what kind of uh, media? Uh, what kind of more media will TK do? So, True. and uh, yeah, this is basically all I have. So, thanks so much, guys. Thank you, Jake. Yeah, Always appreciate the call. An update from Muggin here. Sorry, y'all. I've been changing the batteries, and there hasn't been any luck. I'll need some professional help. Well, <laughs> that, you know, it's a very important device in the home, Muggin. So, I mean, really, for your sanity, I hope you're not, you know, listening to that chirping all. I usually all go day with long. the highly technical solution of bashing it with a broomstick a few times. That could work that as well. Does the trick? Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Maybe all not right. recommended. One piece of written feedback here from. Forum.postwrestling.com comes to us from Chris in Ottawa, who says, Good evening. I very much enjoyed AEW's two-hour event tonight. Pac's Iron Man-like performance across both shows was really impressive, though I thought the match he and Trent had deserved a better finish than sneaky heel tactics. Willow's entrance is one of my favorites in pro wrestling today. It's the happiest vibe of... Excuse me. It's the happiest vibe I've gotten from an entrance since Bailey's NXT TakeOver days. I sure could have benefited from a video package about, about the Gates of Agony and maybe the live crowd could have as well. 
Last, a tough game one loss for the Jays today. When he's dialed in, Mariners pitcher Luis Castillo's 100-mile-per-hour two-seam fastball is virtually impossible for a right-handed batter to hit. And the Jays have very few left-handed bats, a weakness that many identified before the season began. Well, they got um, thumped too, didn't they? They lost like nothing. four nil, five, four nothing, five nothing in a best of three. So, I mean, yeah. the next match is the eliminator, isn't it? So, um, you know, I, I was surprised. Like, not to turn this into any sort of baseball because I have no insight to give. What I guess, yeah, like this is going to be a very short conversation. I, I at least watched a bit of the game, and, and like I was surprised to see like the five hundreds were like very like pretty bare, and, and I don't know what that says, but like even in a, in a playoff situation, like the city is not necessarily like you know selling out the the, the Rogers. I will be very curious actually uh, to see. Oh, watch, watch, watch me tie it back to wrestling. I'll be very curious to see what the ratings are like tonight when they're up against uh, the, uh, the 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 game because there was a game on in the evening. The, the Blue Jays game was earlier, but uh, they they are up against a a game tonight, are they not? Uh, I believe so. I don't know, Chris. I think so. Chris, update us if you're still updating your, your uh, <laughs> help, help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but just in general, I will be curious to see how the ratings go when they are up against baseball because I'm never convinced that baseball is as much of a draw as other sports. I don't know if it uh, if if it creates as much of a drag on the ratings as other live sports. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, no update from Chris. I'm assuming he's asleep as most people are because we've gone on a marathon right now. It is 2.25 a.m. as we're finishing this. Okay, Uh, but I have to thank you, Kate, for bearing through with me for this four-hour marathon. There's still more wrestling to come this weekend. As I mentioned, Impact Bound for Glory Post Show is available right now to all patrons and YouTube members at postwrestlingcafe.com and video.postwrestling.com. Tomorrow, John Pollock and I will be back for our Extreme Rules post show is bray wyatt returning we shall talk about it all tomorrow night uh probably uh, at about 11 p.m eastern time uh right here at youtube.com slash post wrestling and then this weekend we've got the latest edition of wrestlenomics i also want to give a shout out to what else we got here am i uh that's it that's all we've got a relatively calm uh two days at least coming up but kate thank you as always where can people find more of you if they want to follow you throughout i'm sure all of the weekend's festivities indeed you can find me on twitter i am she rants about wrestling at she rants mtl and how much will you be watching this weekend um i have to <laughs> oh my eyes uh i do want to see uh new japan i am definitely t- I, I i definitely want to see the gcw show tomorrow that's really that's kind of my priority i'll have I'll have extreme rules on in in the background. I'll be keeping an eye on it. I'd like to see what happens with the White Rabbit, but I'm I'm very much looking forward to uh, to seeing Mox versus Gage at She Rants MTL for all of her takes. Uh, you know, one one of my favorite minds and opinions in in professional wrestling commentary. So uh, appreciate your thoughts uh, as always, Kate's takes, and appreciate all of you guys for calling in. Uh, I shall talk to you guys tomorrow night. Bye bye.